And we're live. What's up, man? Thank you for having me back on. Oh, yeah. We're finishing the, the trilogy. I, I promise to wrap it up this fucking time. <laughs> well, last time we, uh, the old lady was here, so you guys went on a tangent about your guys' history, which is pretty interesting. You know, I mean, everyone has an origin story. I'd like to hear everybody's. everybody's. <sighs> and I like this series that you're doing and some of the other guests you're bringing on. It's cool shit. The deep dives into other people. I love it. I love it. Yeah, my, the one with my cousin was interesting, talking with him. I know he wants to try to come back on and do something. We're, uh, we're trying to figure something out right now. But, yeah, it's it's always I always find it fascinating to kind of sit down and kind of hear people's stories to a degree. It gives me a broader, like, I used to like, that was one of the things I used to like about driving Uber was the fact that I had time to, like, especially if it was like a 30-minute ride, I had time to kind of hear certain people's life stories and give a broader context to how people operate. I, 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 I'm usually quiet in an Uber, you know, um, but if, 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 if someone that's driving it starts a conversation, I'm down to have it, but I'm never going to just like start unloading on the driver. Cause I feel like if they drive all day and they're hearing everyone's convos, you know, like, I just worry for their mental health sometimes, <laughs> you know, so, but if they ask that I'm, I'm well, I'm willing to talk and contribute, you know, but I never assume that the driver wants to hear what I have to fucking say. I, I was always interested. Like I would always, like I was always, but I love talking to Uber drivers. Yeah. Love I, it. I was, I would always try to find, like you get pretty good after driving Uber for a long time of identifying a conversation and how, and understanding where you can go with certain things. So, like, some people just flat out are shut off. And, like, I'll try to chip away at it. And then at a certain point, I realize it's a lost cause. But a lot of times when you chip away at the right spot, it, it like, everything gets taken down. And then all of a sudden they open up. But you, 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 need, you need to find a starting point to work at into the conversation to see if you can open up some walls. Yeah, I'm definitely game. Uh, especially... In other cities, any city I go to, I'm like definitely game to talk to, uh, to an Uber driver. I definitely even, I, I ask them everything like where to eat or where to really eat, you know, uh, where do they eat? You know, what's the history where to avoid, uh, where to go, where do you go? I love that about and going to any city in the United States. I, I don't think whatever people, I do. Yeah. I don't think people realize that. Like when you get in a car with an Uber guy, I mean, he's not a full-time taxi driver. He, he probably has something going on outside of Uber. So the chance of you getting good information from him is pretty high. For sure, for sure. It's like it's 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 a great like one on one travel trick. You know, if you yes. are a traveler, like get your info from your Uber driver. And I'm sure every traveler by now kind of has like this down and we're just beating a horse to death. But like I love uh talking to Uber drivers and if if you're not one of those people then you know, I get it, but maybe open up sometimes. It's, it's well, cool. It's like what we're doing here, but not in a podcast. Just well, in a car. The thing you learn really quick talking to people drive, when I was driving Uber is a lot of people don't have much to say or they haven't thought about a whole lot either. And it's it's shocking sometimes when you meet people and they don't have an original thought or they haven't really thought about anything. Like, I use a, a tell right away. I used to identify when I drove Uber was how much are they wrapped up in their phone? Because it was always a good marker 
to understand if the person has anything worth the value for a conversation. If the person gets in and all they can do is just stare at the phone, it usually sets, it usually gives you information regarding uh, how much interaction they have with stuff around them. If you're always wrapped into your phone, it's usually pretty limited. Yeah. I really try to respect Uber drivers. Uh, I, I don't mess on my phone. Uh, only twice have I ever like had my laptop open and doing work. And that's cause like legit pressed up against a deadline fucking in a, in a, in a, you know, cab or, but you know, Uber racing to something else with a drive. And, you know, I just apologize immediately. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to work during this drive. And I usually just tip them right away in cash you know because well, like I I, I I tell them i respect you i don't want you to think i just think you're a robot i well, know you're not you're a person driving you know i do that you know i because I, well, I love that, talking but, to Uber but drivers. i really do that's a, that's kind of a different perspective i'm talking about you pick up somebody from like a bar or something like that or just picking somebody up in general and it's you can you can tell when somebody has something to say or somebody does is not in the mood to talk just because you're, yeah. you're not in the mood to talk doesn't mean you don't have something to say. It's just you flat out don't want to talk. And it's just you, you get yeah. pretty good at reading that, too. Yeah, now, I mean, a couple I, times. I, I, I don't take I that back. personal. It's just everybody, like, there's sometimes when I get in the car, I don't want to talk to anybody. Or the person that gets yeah, in and, yeah. and they act like an asshole at the gate, I'm not interested in talking to that person. <laughs> a few times I've gotten in at Uber and I had to immediately apologize and say, I'm really fucking drunk and I'm just trying to hold this shit together. So I'm just going to put my head right here. And they, they usually go all good, man. <laughs> you know, I'm like opening up front. I won't hurl. I just really need to just. That's everybody's relax. famous last words, man. I'm, I'm cool. I'm not going to throw up. It's like, Oh, fucking me roll down the window. I actually have never ever thrown up in an Uber. Oh, thank it's, God. It's rough like, to clean up, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's a supercut in your in your mind. Oh yeah, about all that shit. There's about yeah. three or four different ones. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it is what it is, man. So it's, we. It's so, just good stories. It's the gravy of you. Oh, it is, man. It it's is the gravy. It 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 it's all just compiling different life experiences. Is what it turns out to be. All right, man. So when we left off last time, you just got in the, the USC, and you just got down there. The room you're going to get was full of cockroaches. And then you had to then you had to throw some shit on the wall to see if you can get into the dorms. So did you? Yeah, so I, I you, got in a freshman dorm. Okay. So I chose the freshman dorm. It was either the freshman dorm, but as a junior. Uh, but I was going to be a fifth year senior. That was always the the graduation plan because I was transferring, and that's the only way I could finish those units. But uh, so it was either live in the freshman dorms or. Or live in like this super cramped, really small two bedroom apartment with five guys. So I and I would have been in the room that had the three guys, like because they already pre assigned the rooms, because the three guy room was cheaper. And so I was like not into that. I I don't know. I just didn't feel comfortable. And then so I had this uh, the uh, housing counselor. There's like a person that signs you up. Said, why don't you just do the freshman dorm? You got everything paid for in terms of your tuition and it looks like you might have enough, you know, for, you know, housing, you know, this, it's this almost the same cost. Uh, but you know, but you just get to be a freshman this time and it's, you're new to SC might as well do it. 
So it was like, wow, I, I just never thought about that, that I'm new. Like I could restart. It was something weird. So I said, how, okay. How, so old, I, how old were you at this time? I was a f- uh, junior, so. Like 22? 19 and a half. Oh, shit. You were 20. So young. I was 20. Okay. I was 20. No, I, I just turned 20, and I was now going to be in dorms with a bunch of people that just turned 18. Not not yeah. not just turned eighteen, but I mean, I got a feeling a they lot just, of them. They just turned eighteen, and they had been fed like a whole decade of '90s movies about college, and it was on. Okay. If you, you know if saying? you had to say like looking at it now, the the amount of people that you ran across in that first year, how many of them came from like affluent households? I'm kind of curious. So, most, most, like 80%, there were just a oh, few of you, us scholarship kids, yeah. you know? But you, but compared to where you came from, that's a super diametrically opposed. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, Valley High School, everyone got free lunch. Like, I don't even think, I, I don't know, did I ever fill out an app? They just, just shoved gave free to food you. in your face. They, you're so poor, They, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then... And then I went to Sac State, so Kasumas River, Sac State, and I was doing that at the same time. And Kasumas River is just as diverse as uh, Valley High School. Oh, yeah. It's right across the street, so it's all good. Sac State was actually the first place I ever met white people that weren't trailer white people. Oh, like from the local trailer parks in the south area? Yeah, because in, in Valley, the only people that were white that went to that school or most of the white people that went to Valley at that time lived in the trailer parks. And those trailer like parks are Franklin. Yeah. Or the one over by Gerber. Ber Gerber. Yes. They lived in those trailer parks. Most of them. So most of the people that I knew that owned homes and stuff were Latino, Hmong, Filipino, black. Uh, there was a couple white kids that had houses, but most of them actually lived in the trailers. So I, it might mean, I mean, there was like, you know, we, we really didn't think about race or whatever. Everyone was just mostly black. And then there was some Latin kids and it was cool, man. It was, we didn't really care about it that much. You know, there was just, and at that time, like the nineties, like it was black culture everywhere. Hip yeah. Hop. Oh yeah. Big time. Even the rock scene was made better by black artists. Yeah. Rage Against the, the, the Machine. Country, Yes, exactly. Like Zach De La Rocha made that better. Same thing with country. You know, Hootie and the Blowfish, uh, Darius Rucker made that better. You know, so like I didn't care about it. But when I got to Sac State, it was hella fucking white. It was way whiter, and it was like white people that had BMWs and shit. It was a totally like different. People, it was a. It's a totally different type of white person. I never met those white people before. The, the talk, it was the white people you met on TV. Yes. It was that. Yes. Because like I never met those people in reality. On, like like I, those I, I would almost say like those like those teen movies of white kids in the suburbs. That's what it was. Yes. And that's where I first met those kids. So then you know, but the the suburb rich kids, like their parents made a hundred and fifty thousand. They lived in the you know, Laguna or Elk Grove, you know, like their parents were managers of the Hyundai dealership or whatever. It wasn't like they were that 
they're well off for South Sac kids. Hell yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like they live in Rockland and they own like a construction business and shit like that. You know? So I met those kind of kids and they were shitty. You know, they were really <laughs> shitty kids. I fucking hate. I got a, I got the last fight I ever got in post 18 years old was in Sac State on Sac State's campus. And it was just some fucking like Jonathan Taylor Thomas white kid <laughs> trying to step up to me because <laughs> his girl was looking at me at that time. I was I was flexing, man. And so like his his girl was looking at me. And so I actually didn't even notice. So he's like, hey, man, why you got my girl looking at you? And I was like, what? Anyhow, we fought. I had to run away before the cops got there and nobody ever found out it was me. And I didn't get suspended or expelled or anything. Just a couple shots in the uh, commons. But anyhow, so now, but now I'm at USC and yes, there are, it's actually more diverse than you think. There are more, there's more diversity, but it's all over the world. So there, I, my roommates from Hong Kong, I got a, across this, the, the way, a one from uh, Israel, another one from uh, Japan, another one, you know what I mean? So I got a lot of international and then there's also a lot of like U.S., but these, if the rich people now are not just rich, they're billionaire rich kids, multimillionaire rich kids, like famous kid, famous people's kids. You see, know, it, the only, it's the, weird. It told it turned into a whole different world. See, the only rich kids I ever met were the ones from the our previous owner, his family. A lot of the kids ended up working at the dealership. But they were hardcore druggies. Like, their lives had completely fucking imploded, and they were just living off his money. Yeah, and, you know, that that empire ain't going to last. Give it one, two generations yes. over. Yeah, I always make you the know? comment that, you know, wealth dies within a generation or two. I went to school <coughs> with uh, a Kennedy. I went to school with uh, the heir to a, to the Krispy to the Kreme. Uh, Fortune, Wal- the heir to Walmart. She ended up getting her degree revoked. I know I said that in the previous uh, episode. You know, like the whole, my whole social sphere turned upside down. I wasn't really prepared. And I'm actually glad I didn't go right from Valley to something like USC. Because I really, I would, I think I would have had a hard time. I don't think I would have made it. And, uh, but anyhow, I ran into my buddy who went to USC from Valley. Uh, you know, so I th- think at this time he's a senior now and I'm a junior and he's depressed cause he's feeling like that. Like he went culture shock, you know? And he's yeah. like, I can't really compete with these girls. You know, like he'll be like a girl flirt with him or whatnot. He'll be like, Hey, 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 you know, and they'll, they'll start to talk. And then like, she'll be like, pick me up. And you know, this and what? <laughs> he's got like this Honda. It looks like, like a drug dealer car <laughs> because his uncle was a drug dealer and gave him the car and it's fucked up. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, you know, he can't really roll with it. You know, like, you know who uh, Clay Matthews is? Uh, I'm not familiar. He's a Green Bay Packer, linebacker, Hall of Fame guy, recent, most sort of recent NFL. Well, his sister went to USC. He went to USC, but his, his sister went to USC first. And uh, my buddy and his sister were like, you know, like sort of romantic, but like 
it could never cross the fish line because she was just like, he was, she was just slumming it with him. You know what I mean? Like she was never serious about being with him. You know, he was just, she was just with the black dude, you know? Yeah. Or the hood guy, you know? And the few of us that were in, we actually ended up coalescing, you know, a group of people from like hood part of like South, South side of Chicago, <laughs> South side of Miami, isn't South that, side of Sacramento. But isn't that funny how that works out? You automatically identify your culture groups of where you're from and you, and you start to build your own little network off of that. That's the only, we brought like a little fraternity and like, that's the only people from undergrad that I truly keep up with are these like, the rodent people that got in on scholarship, you know, somehow. What well, I, I was making you know, that, this, you know, <laughs> I was making this comment to Mike one time, and I, and I and I I think it's more true than people realize. I think a lot of those people that that came from well-to-do families, they can almost automatically identify certain people when you start talking to them by the way you operate in your conversation. So even 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 if you do have adequate knowledge that surpasses them, the way you talk automatically identifies to them subconsciously in their head that you're below them. Even it's because you're not proper in the way you operate. And I think a lot of those people subconsciously pick that up. I think the average person does Yeah, that are from well, well bro, to I, do. I was given straight signals, bro. I mean, I, I'm losing my proper accent just talking to you, but you said words like adequate and blah, blah, blah. Like even though I'm a theater major, or the what person of the arts, I was good at reading the script, but after the script is down, I mean, I was, I sounded straight South Sack, like hella deep. Well, it took me you know, a long like time. It, I, it took I me can't a... even get back to that accent. I can't even get back. I wish I had more recordings of me back then. Bro. Oh, dude, I, I've, I've seen videos of me growing up. Like even in, even when I've kind of met Rain, I was just trying to start, I was starting to realize the way I talk and how much of an impact it had. Like I, I can never really break the way I, when I, the way like my language comes out, but I can kind of get rid of a lot of my accent that I picked up growing up in those areas. I've yeah. really refined how it comes out, but I, 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 at the end of the day, I'm still a hood cat. Like you push me hard enough. You'll find out really quick. Well, you know what I did was I, I, I used that combination of like, I know I'm from the hood. You know, I was sort of self-conscious about it. Like imposter syndrome. Oh yeah. Know, that that's huge. I, I still have that to this day yeah. about certain things. Oh man, it was really hard, you know, like, you know, I, my roommate flashing like thousand dollar bills, thousand dollar bills. Yeah. I've never even seen one. I never saw, I saw a few hundred. No, I saw a hundred dollar bills. I'm not going to lie. My dad had a business and whatnot, but I never saw a thousand dollar bill till that day. Uh, and I think I've only seen it since one other time. I mean, thousand dollar bills. Like, yeah, we're going out tonight. Fuck. Yeah, I'm not. It not I that, mean, but <laughs> if, if people are going, you got to realize that you're at that age too. If people are going out and spending that kind of money, you have no, you have no way to play in that game. So you can't go out and, and inter interact with the environment they're going to be going out into. Yeah. So I mean, I really so. I had to hang out with those kids because they were in my lab classes or they were in my theater classes or whatnot. But, you know, in, in the end of the day, like, I I realized, I don't know, man. I had to adjust. I'm in their territory. I'm not in South Sac no more. I'm not on, I'm not delivering pizzas for lampposts anymore. 
Oh, Lampost oh, Pizza here. was fire. Met Lampost Mac Road. That's where I, I delivered pizzas for two years in between, you know, Valley and now USC. On top of, I worked for uh, City Sacramento and I had all kinds of shit jobs, you know, just trying to do whatever I can to get to SC, you know, until I'd start selling cars, then I quit everything and did that. But anyhow, so now I'm at SC and it's like the whole world is different to me. Now. Everyone's speaking different languages and whatnot. I reconnect with my boy Wayne and he was depressed. I mean, depressed. He was like, I don't know what I'm going to do after I graduate, man. This is my senior year. He's, he's like helping out his, his uncle and bail bonds for money to get him through. Cause I think uh, he lost part of his scholarship or something. I, I, I don't know how, why, but he working in bail bonds had come across some uh, fugitive recovery agents as they call them, you know, fugitive hunters, you know, yes. those guys. <laughs> and so he ran into them and started getting all these stories. And so he, he turned it into a screenplay like quick. And so when I met him, he was depressed, but he had just finished writing this screenplay. Uh, and then uh, I was like, dope, let's do it. I didn't even read it. I just saw it was thick, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he printed it out. I was like, dope, let's do it. He's like, what do you mean? Let's do it. I was like, bro, we just, who fucking cares? Let's just go do it. Do it with what? I don't know. Let's go get any camera we can find and go do it. So we kind of like, we're like, okay. Hold on. You know so what? We, Hold on. Let me cut you off for a second. That was probably a critical part of, of his life right there. That interaction with you, when him being in that position, to have somebody come in with some energy to fucking be like, let's do it. That probably went a long fucking way. Yeah. I mean. He, he ended up, uh, he ended up tagging me along, letting me tag along on this journey because he ended up taking such reins of the project to, he took the project to places I never thought it would go. And I got to be along on that ride and learn along the way. But it was, he, he even admitted to me later, it was because of that spark I gave him. Let's just fucking do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. hella like stupid ambition or just like stupid blind, like whatever the fuck. Yeah. Well, not that, he, but he that, never had anybody there at USC that, that was felt doing that. that. Way. Yeah. Yeah. That goes, that if, if you're in a position where you're around a lot of people and you're operating the out group and, and you can't make any bridges or nobody, no, nobody really believes what you're doing, then you run across one of your old homies and he's like, fuck yeah, let's just do it. Do what? Let's just make this happen. Let's try to put a movie together. Let's just fucking go for it. Let's just just take a chance. Yeah, because generally what you meet at a place like SC or any place that's super fucking formal, Hollywood formal, is that's not orthodox. You know, that's not the way you do the project. That's not how you, that's not kosher. So I didn't know. In my opinion, you write, oh, it looks, yeah, you wrote it. So let's make it. You wrote it to make it, right? Yeah. That's my opinion, right? Same with mine. Because I had just done two years of plays. I mean, I think I had done like 30 plays in two years from workshop theaters to reader's theater to six major productions. See, but it that, was a lot of work, right? That, but hold on. but that, for me, everything that you write on a play goes on a stage right away. Well, that's just weird that you would, that somebody would write something and then not follow through with trying to make it. That's a part I can't wrap my head around. 
at least give it a shot. You can learn on the way. It, if you come up with something, you write it, a li- let's at least try to do it. And if it fails, let's learn why it failed. But if you never do that, you're not going to learn why it failed. Sure, sure. I mean, and, and I, there's a lot more to writing that I've learned. I've written, I've written scripts that I've sold where I've sold it, you know, for six figures. And then they did not make it. And I kind of knew people weren't going to make certain scripts, but it's like people bought them. And now the, the only way I could get the money back or the script back is to give the money back. If that makes sense, it goes into yeah. something called turnaround, you know? So that is like separate, you know, uh, it becomes a strategic, a lot of things become strategic. Like I've written writing samples and I've, I've doctored on scripts that I won't get credit for, but like, you know, I make money, but I get relationships, you know, like it becomes a whole different game. But at that point in my brain, you write it to make it. So my boy gave me the script and I'm like, let's do it. And so he, he immediately, uh, he remembered one guy that we had met at tower of youth, uh, when we were, uh, high school students, but he kept up with him. Uh, you know, he just kept up with him and this guy, his name was John Jimenez here in Sacramento and he's a legend in Sacramento. Uh, but at that time he was just like a news kid. You know, he shot like behind the scenes featurettes on channel three on channel three. And, uh, so he was like, let's make a movie. And so John had just finished shooting blood guts, bullets and octane for Joe Carnahan. And Joe Carnahan is like, Sacramento God, like filmmaker God, because uh, he does. He's he's a big A list director from Sacramento, and so his first feature film was Blood Guts Bullets and Octane, and my uh, so John Jimenez shot that film. It went to Sundance. It did all sorts of things, and then fell away. And then Joe Carnahan got to make his next movie, Narc, and blah 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 blah. So anyhow, so we ended up hiring uh, John to come on and quote unquote hiring. <laughs> I say we you, offered him five five hundred bucks. Yeah, I say, you, know? you guys don't have any capital really to deploy. I have scholarship money. <laughs> I have about two grand. <laughs> and then I have a a, a a meal card. This is my first semester at USC, bro. I have a meal card that's unfucking limited. It's part of like my deal, like, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's bad. It's calorically horrible. <laughs> and, uh, would you, so would you tell doing, you, I want to buy you lunch. <laughs> I got thousands of dollars swiped secretly. Like, like sort of like, dun, 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 dun. and I'm hiding all the fucking shit in the back of my truck. And so we're preparing to shoot this film all for, uh, my first semester, at USC while I'm still partying and doing all that kind of shit, you know, and taking acting classes. I mean, we're full timing it four hours of sleep a night. It was some of the greatest, wildest adrenaline filled time ever. And I'm filling up the back of my uh, Ford Ranger that has a tonneau cover on it uh, with chips, all that. So like we get all the like catering quote unquote that we thought we thought done. Cool. We got catering. And then uh, John has a friend that has a camera that's going to let us use it for free. 
and uh, we got these locations. So we're like, we're cool. But somehow the budget kept kind of like evolving or we needed more things or, oh, turns out we need this and that. Things you never think of unless you're a professional at it and we're not professionals at it. But we, quote unquote, want to make a professional movie or at least John, because he had just finished shooting Blood, Guts, Bullets and Octane on film. He's determined to shoot another movie and, and he's directing this one. So he's determined to, to make it pro level, but like we have no idea. So now him and John are like really steering the ship. And I'm just like sort of helping out at this time. So now like I'm good at casting cause I still remember all the Sacramento casting directors. So we decided to shoot the film in Sacramento. Like I know casting directors in Sacramento, John in Sacramento knows all the lo- you know locations and he has friends here. It starts to just balloon. And then we met, met this guy f- that we knew from Tower of Youth. His name is Bill Bronson. He's a lawmaker and a lawyer. And so he ends up throwing some money down on it. Some <coughs> other, He introduces us to another person that wants to throw money down on it. And then we go on the news, literally Fox 40. Uh, and this is John that cooked this up. Where we like sort of do a semi pitch about our project, you know, and we just say, if you're interested in a, you know, you know, uh, any sort of investment in this, you can call, you know, whatever. I don't think that's really F, you know, Federal Exchange Commission or whatever <laughs> word. I don't even know what it. Yeah, but I, I don't think, do it. But if you think about how it is now with crowdsourcing nowadays, I don't think it's any different from. What you get now, like now, every, a lot of stuff it's crowdsourced. Oh no, I, I agree, I agree. So it was like pre that, you know, a little bit, you know. And I'm not even good at crowdsourcing today, so I can't even say that this was like on purpose. It was on accident, or at least John had that push. And so we get on TV, and it's just me and and Wayne. Uh, sorry, me and my boy, and uh, he's like, you know, we're both going to be acting in the film because we're both acting majors at this school. Right. So we're producing to put ourselves in the film. That's all I cared about. I saw it was thick and I was like, is there a role for me? He was like, cool. Yeah. You could be this guy. Blah, 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 blah. Dope. Okay. So like, that's how I started the film, you know? And so it ballooned out of fucking control, bro. By the time we started rolling, which was the, the beginning of winter break at the end of the first semester this had to be at SC. This had to be like around 2002, 2003 almost, I think. Yes, it was the winter 2002 turning into 2003. Okay. We we shoot every single day. The the budget ballooned to 150,000 bucks. I've never seen this amount of money in my life. I've never seen more than $5,000 in my face. Uh and that was the dude that like had the thousands of dollars. And before that, it was only like a few hundred dollars I've ever seen in my hands. But now we're, I'm literally producing and I'm good at like budgets, you know? So I'm the guy that does budgets. I helped with casting, you know, so I'm producing this plus acting and it actually hurt my acting, you know, and which hurt my like fucking ego in the long run. But anyhow, uh, so we produced this film. Well, hold, man, how, how was your buddy holding up after this thing started to kind of build steam? Oh, he's like, he's like flexing, bro. He's on cloud nine. You know, uh, I've never seen the man happier. You know, he's starring in the picture. 
But if you think about that, so it all spawned from that one interaction with you about like, yeah, let's just do it. So look, look think about how much he was down on his luck and it, we, 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 his state of mind at the time. And that one instance of getting in contact with you and you just pushing it to like, let's just fucking do it. Look what it did. Yes, very positive for him at the time. And he's, we'll, we'll talk later. It, it, it goes into a dark patch for him and myself and whatnot. Oh, but, uh, but anyhow, so we, we, you know, SC, you know, uh, we shoot the film, man. Do we shoot the film, uh, two weeks in Sacramento, two weeks in San Jose. And that's right up against like the last day goes right into first day of classes, the next spring semester. So we finished shooting on a, oh my God, I think it was on a Monday you know, Monday was the last, um, on a Monday was our last day of shooting. We got to be at school on Tuesday or something. I can't remember the exact day. And, uh, it was a fucking blast. Four weeks. We're shooting on film. We got guns. We got, we're closing down streets. We're like, we're out of fucking control. It was fucking awesome, man. You know, I die in the film. It's fucking, oh, spoiler alert, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but I die in the film. It's great. I mean, it's great. I mean, when I look back on it, oh, wow, man, it was amazing. I can't believe we did that shit. Well, I want to say you guys finished the film right about right about the time I met Raina, because you give you had gave Raina a copy of the film, and we watched it the whole time we were watching it. And she's like, "I can't believe he's in a fucking movie." <laughs> I, I just I remember her saying that about you and the other guy. Like she couldn't wrap her head around it. Oh man, like, it, it gets wild because it, it's wild. like it's so, a legit movie. I couldn't believe we were making a legit movie, bro. I'm a producer in this thing. I remember when we got a crane and like two cars, or like we got stunt drivers, and then uh, shooting down the street, and I'm in the car with the stunt driver, and we jump out of the car, and then just I think then 200 shots went rain out. From two guys on each side. You know, all blanks, obviously. But, yeah. like, oh, man, just talking to you makes me have some fucking member berries, bro. Like, damn, it, that, that was fucking great. That's, like, the first time I ever experienced that shit, just straight up. You know, like, getting hit in the face with the shell casing, you know? <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> shit, that hurt. You know, like candy glass falling all over you that fucking shit like i don't care man it still feels like glass you know what i mean it's just like you know i'm, I'm doing it man it's anyway so we shoot it and then my boy he's just on a mission because he felt like he was dissed his whole like you know college career at, at sc i didn't know that till i got there and uh so his goal was like i shoot a fucking feature film and during my winter break and I come back, I'm still here in on, on time for class. Like that was his thing, man. So we're like, I'm, I'm trying to help him get there, man. But the, the night before, man, we're just trying to wrap it up, man. Trying to wrap up principal. We know we're going to have to shoot pickup shots all throughout second semester, second semester, but we just need to like get this bulk in, man. And so we end up shooting at, you know, in San Jose, finished wrapping at like three in the morning. I think we had shot like 30, 30 hours straight. 
over 24. We had to take a couple breaks, nap breaks while shooting on set. Like we were just desperately trying to finish the film. And we got a crew of 20, man. We're like, we're like, it's a real crew. But everybody in that by then was like determined to try to help Wayne do this because he like he was he was our leader of the whole fucking thing. It was great. And so anyhow, so he takes off driving. We both take off driving uh, by this time, three in the morning. And we're trying to get to L.A. by I think we have 10 a.m. class. And it's a bullshit class. It's fucking yoga. I'm not even joking. It's yoga. So but actors need to learn how to stretch and whatnot. Now that I'm fucking old, I wish I stayed doing yoga because it's stiff. But like, anyhow, but like we're trying to make it back for yoga class, bro. Literally. So anyhow, I'm I'm driving. And bro, I can't. I, I after about two hours, I say, fuck yoga. And I, I don't have the same mission Wayne has my boy has. So I pull over in like some like uh parking lot, like Chevron. And I got a pillow in my Ford Ranger and I just sort of like get in fetal position in the cab and just sleep. <laughs> so fuck this, man. Because it's just single cab, you know. And uh, my boy didn't do that. And he kept going and going. Don't worry, he's alive. Or I shouldn't have spilled the guts. He crashes his car. Ugh. Like flips that Honda into a burrito on the five we go through the pachico pass get on the five that's when i f- keep going so he goes so i i get up after sleeping i know i'm late i forgot how how long i slept and then i drive for a couple hours and i call him no answer call him back no answer i keep driving to la finally i get a call back from him and he's like oh bro bro i flipped it and i, I didn't believe him i was like Flip what? What what are you talking about? I flipped my car. I fell asleep. You know, pulled, you know, like skid, you know, you know, whatever, tried to correct it. And then tire blew out and boom, flipped the car. I was like, oh, damn, glad you're alive. So anyhow, he didn't he didn't know where he was. He couldn't describe to me where he was. He was just in some like mid of the California somewhere. And so I just like I was like, cool, I'll find you. I'll find you. And so I see a C, you know, sometime passes, maybe 10 minutes. I see a CHP coming on like on the other side. So then I just do like, you know, like I get in the center, like, like dirt, like waving my hands, you know, like, you know, flashing my lights. And then he flashes his lights and meets me in the center divider. And like, he's like kind of creeped out by me, but I was like, I'm totally normal guy. I'm totally normal. I'm trying to find my friend. He flipped his car. Uh, and I described the car and he goes, oh, wow, I, I was the CHP on the scene. And I was like, oh, is everything OK? Do you know where I can find him? He was like, oh, man, that was bad. <laughs> no shit. And I was I was like, oh, shit. So he told me like, you know, gave me like the like turn by turn directions. I had to write them down, you know, pre cell phone that did that shit. So then I found dude in some hospital in the middle of nowhere it was like like if you're driving on the five and then you turn east on like some country road for an hour he's in one of those hospitals it's like a two-room hospital in the middle of like just farmland so i go get him his head's like three times the normal size 
bandaged up, <laughs> fucked up. And then we end up going to the impound where his car was, which was like three hours some other way. So now we're driving all over California, fucked up, tired. So we get to the impound. We see the car. It is literally a burrito. It looks like like a little Ikea couch. Like, oh, shit. It, and I was like, how did... And then we both were looking at it like, how the fuck did you live? And he was like, I don't know, man. And so we were just like thanking the Lord, man. Just thanking... I mean, whatever the fuck is, you know? Like, whatever happened, thank, thank, thanking it, you know? Because he like... Oh, I mean, legit almost died, man. And that would have been so tragic to have like put your film in the can and then died. You know what I mean? And like, then my little conversation with him would have not felt so powerful. You know what I would have been like, why did I ever suggest this shit anyhow? But that did not happen. So anyhow, we go back to LA and like, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, just all post-production, you know, John's running post-production in, um, in Sacramento. And then we're coming up every other weekend to shoot pickup shots and whatnot. And, and it's cool, man. It's really cool. You know, I, I, I do that. Um, <laughs> I, I imagine you're learning a lot, the process of doing all this stuff. Yeah. I'm learning everything about the pro pro way. I mean, I found, I learned how to do things at Casimnas River college and you know, whatnot. Like, but it, well, not that, but even it working with real. that, even working with that John guy, he's got to be teaching you certain stuff about it too. Oh no, John knew film, like celluloid film, uh, on top of all the video, like. But because he worked in the news, they still used film, and so and he had shot another film before. So I'm learning everything about film, the flatbeds, how to cut that way. But you know, first he's doing the you know, running it through on film, seeing how it looks, and then we do the telescene which is where you run the film through a machine that turns it into a digital file but it wasn't a straight digital file it was on tape called digibeta tape which was at uh, 2k resolution we're about almost 2k better than 1080 but around 2k which is actual projector standard today See, which still. is funny because like a lot of that i think tvs were still 480 at the time they had, they had, we hadn't, we were just getting 720 into the market, I think, if I remember. That's how superior film was to whatever the fuck video was doing. Okay. That's why John wanted to shoot on film. Because well, you can always you, know? go, you can always go back and and uh and then re uh upscale it, can't you? Since you shot on I'm film. Actu I, I'm actually I have a buddy that, that ha owns a telescene machine, and he's gonna let me run my uh this fugitive hunter. 16 mil tape that we have through it so i could get it now in 4k oh shit like 4k dci out of the 16 mil do you want to watch it though no i actually <laughs> want to re-edit the film because there's a cut that john had done before the one that you had seen or whatnot that was i think better but not really great for distribution but now that things are so far removed you know like fucking why not so i want that original cut so i in order to get it i'd have to re-tell a scene and re-edit it because i have a like a dv uh vhs version of it but it never made the final so anyhow uh 
you know, I'm learning everything about this. And then, you know, I'm learning about how we're going to make the film and uh, how we're going to distribute the film. And we're meeting with lawyers and we're meeting with See, the thing people. about this, if you think about the amount of knowledge that you picked up just doing this project on, on the this pushing him to do the project, compared to what everybody else was doing in the school at the time, nobody was probably doing anything like this. For the most no, part. not even not even in the film school. I we went to the film school for help after we had it in the can, and they had no idea how to help. They were like, "What the fuck are you people doing?" They were just like, "Just finish your project on your own." That's what they said. Wow. Yeah, yeah, but I, I had no fault for them. Now that like I look back on it, yeah. there was no way they could help us. <clears throat> but you think there they want? Nothing... But, you, but you think they would want to get involved to learn? No, there was nothing they could do because it was so already so far advanced than anything that they were ever doing for like even their master's degree students. What the that just tells you working in the market is the best source of knowledge compared to school will give you some stuff, but it doesn't duplicate what it takes actually doing it in the field. No, I mean, it doesn't. I mean, but I'll get to film school later because I ended up going to film school later even though i did this film but because for a lot of different reasons and you know a lot of them were i was for a lot of different reasons so 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 we do this and then and then so finally like summertime comes and by the way man dude like oh you i'm still at sc man and so i'll tell this story because uh my wife she'll never hear this thing i told her never to listen so <laughs> She knows this story, but she hates this story. It's not like it's a secret. Is this where you met her? Yeah. I mean, I think I've told you this story. I don't think you have. Go ahead and say it. So, so, so I actually met my wife the next, the next day, uh, after my boy flipped his, his car. So I am just totally sleep deprived, whatnot. So that night, that night I drop him off and it's like, the sun's starting to set in LA. I missed all my classes that day. My counselors are blowing me up on the phone. What the F? You can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And so I had to call them back, tell them what happened. They're like, okay, we'll get, like, maybe we can get you exemptions. But I, a couple of the classes that I had, uh, because I missed the first day, it was auto drop. Oh. And there were classes that the <coughs> counselor said were really hard to fit in my schedule. Because I had a very specific schedule for my acting classes. And so she was like, fucking blah, 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 blah. So then she told me, uh, I got to go to this anthro class. Uh, so I had already taken Anthropology 101 at Sac State and got an A. But I had to take a class in this sort of sector you know, to fulfill the requirement, uh, they call it a residency requirement at USC. That even if you've fulfilled it in another school, you have to do it at USC. No questions asked. It was bullshit. But anyhow, uh, I was going to take a totally different class uh, to fulfill the requirement because I figure, you know, I think it was like a, a sociology class to fulfill the requirement. It was like a humanities requirement or some weird requirement. And, uh, but then turns out I had to end up taking Anthro 101 again because I missed that first class. It auto dropped me. 
So then my counselor was like, well, you can walk into this class. If you get into this class, it'll still, it still won't mess up your whole schedule. And, uh, you don't have, it won't mess up your whole schedule. So I, then I walk into that class. So then I normally am this kid that sits way in the back, you know, hood up, you know, for a general ed class, you know, I'm just like, whatever, you know, but no, not this one. I need to get the professor to sign me up for the class and it's already full. So I'm going to sit in the front. I'm going to act real nice. I'm going to smile. You know, I'm going to have my paper ready (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, Dude, I I end up sitting next to the person that becomes my wife. And so I meet her there and uh, I end up getting in the class. Thankfully, the, the professor, you know, like my smile, she said. She literally said that and then signed the paper and I got in the class. But I ended up in this class that I had already taken uh, at another school. And so I didn't take it seriously. And so I ended up getting, uh, even though I got all C's in, uh, or whatever, or lower in high school, uh, in college, I was a straight a monster. It just, it was for me, college click easy. Give me a syllabus. Give me what I need to study. I do it on my own time, like a fucking adult. And then, you know, I meet the standards. There you go. And so college was uh, easy for me. But anyhow, I was distracted by this lady and, uh, you know, I ended up getting a freaking my only see it in college was in this one anthro class. I had taken again. But anyhow, I didn't take it seriously because I had already took it. And then I was, you know, flirting with my wife. But um, but anyhow, she wasn't my wife at the time. So, you know, I'm like flirting with her or whatnot. And then there's this other girl on campus who's a. Uh, just shot a film too. And so we were just talking cause she just shot a film and I was like, okay, well I just shot a film and she's a spring admit. And so we're just chatting all over campus. We're eating, you know, lunch. We're, we're in social circles, you know, it's starting to be cool. Uh, and this chick turns out to be, you know, right now she's like an A-list actress, you know, she's like way up there. But I remember when Can we you first shot our first films. Oh, uh, America Ferreira. Do you know who America Ferreira is? It sounds familiar. I bet if I seen the face, I could probably place it. She was Ugly Betty. She okay, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. She was in the show of uh, Superstore. She's in the show Superstore. Tons of movies. But she had just shot this movie, and she was chubby at the time. But she had just shot this movie called Real Women Have Curves based on a play that I had never read. Yeah, or anything I'm familiar with that movie. Yeah, so she had just shot that movie, and I had just shot Fugitive Hunter. They still were not in any... Real Women Have Curves is made by HBO, and it's like $1 million. Yeah. (laughs) Fugitive Hunter is made by (laughs) Joe Schmo. Couple kids from South (laughs) (laughs) But I'm walking around flexing it, bro, because in my mind, it's, it's the same, you know? And so, so anyhow, but she's like a barrio kid from well, not, no, she's actually not. She's from Woodland Hills, which is a very nice community, but she kind of pl- plays like a barrio kid. So she ended up in those social circles with us. Uh, and, you know, we, we went on a few dates and whatnot, you know, but I, I don't know. I just wasn't into how chubby she was. 
I just wasn't into that. And like the person, you know, the person who became my wife was like, like rack. It's just awesome. You know, it's just like, she had the rack, she had everything, you know, but America didn't, you know, and I'm just like people today who you picked the wrong one. It's like, no, like whatever, dude, it was just whatever. We're just kids. But uh, anyhow, so uh, that was like one like romantic encounter. I could have went this way or this way. But anyhow, we we stayed cool for a little while, but then uh, drifted. I met her years later uh, auditioning for her fucking show and uh, got some shade action. So, yeah, it's Hollywood. Things come and go. Sometimes you're on top. Sometimes you're below. Well, not that, but who who was to say that if you did, if you ended up hooking up with her or whatever, it would have even made it anywhere. I mean, she she wanted to fuck. We 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 got. You could have laid down some hot. pipe and moved on. We we got real hot and heavy at one point. Um, you know, in the dorms, you know, and she was like all gearing to go, and I just couldn't get over the hump. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Shit happens. I just could get over the hump, bro. It just, it just wasn't. It it's just too, the flat. Speed bumps the flag are too big. Is not rising, yeah. bro. <laughs> you gotta raise. You gotta raise it. You know, it just wasn't. And she was frustrated. You know, and, and I get, I get her. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I kissed many fat girls at that point. You know, but like in public or like at a coffee shop. You know, like. Macking on a girl late night or whatnot in Sacramento because, you know, Sac Town, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've done that a few times, you know, but like, but like, this was like a little more serious, bro. This was like in the dorms. But not that, but you ain't hanging around a bunch of hood rat bitches. You're hanging around with like girls that are kind of hot in the higher end. You're, you're hanging out with like Sacramento tens, but they're like LA, like, like fives and sixes. Sure, I mean, but this is, I mean, college life is not L.A. life. It's, that's a whole nother life. But, like, but, but it's now we're, like, in these, like, ch- locked up USC, you know, echo chambers and whatnot. But anyhow, you know, it's different. It's like the movies where you do fuck, you know. She's like, you know, I'm an actress. You're a filmmaker. And I'm, we're in the dorms. And we're both Latin. And Give me that lens. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, she wanted to do it, and I could not do it, man. I just couldn't. I couldn't. I I didn't feel like it, man. You know? Like, I don't know. Like, I didn't feel like it, man. Okay, how how big was she if you had to gauge it, thinking back about it? She's, like, half her size today, bro. Oh. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can. Oh, yeah. She was, like... I don't know how to size women. I don't know what women's sizes are, honestly. Well, how tall is she? She's like what, five six, something like that. Five five, five seven area. She's five six ish. Yeah, she's a little bit shorter than me. Uh, the person, the other girl I was dating at the time, I was like dating both of them at the time. I was sort of like parallel dating them, testing the water. I, I mean, America was awesome. She had a beautiful face and all that. She just wasn't. I don't know. I couldn't do it. But like my other girl was like awesome too she was beautiful and we had great conversations it was sort of like you know my wife would hate this a toss-up no it was not a toss-up but like it was just like 
I had other friends that were like, hey, man, you should hook up with America, man. You know, that's HBO she's with. Or whatever. It, it, it kind of got kind of weird like that. Oh, like Chase know? the Dollars? Not really. I mean, America was still poor or like yeah, but they're, not, they're, not cash a check yet. Yeah, but they're like thinking prospect-wise. Yeah, like USA Today came on came on uh, to our dorms and interviewed her. and No shit. Oh yeah, like that's that that movie won Sundance. It, yeah, I, like, me- I remember seeing it a long time ago. Yeah, like I, she had just shot it; it just like finished. So like I saw the parallel distributions of um, Fugitive Hunter and Real Women Have Curves. One is full of fame and fortune, and the other is. A, a different story, you know, <laughs> but also very valuable lessons. So anyhow, which is funny, man. So, um, which is funny because my, my, my mentor today, one of my mentors today is the director of real women have curves. And so it's like a lot of cyclical storytelling. So, so anyhow, uh, you know, I stick with, with the plan and then uh I, I get with my wife and the semester ends and um I was like my 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 girlfriend is like now you know my wife now she's my girlfriend and she's going back to Texas and I'm like I don't know maybe I was a little clingy I don't know but I was like oh man I kind of want to like I don't know keep hanging out with her I'm like it was kind of digging it her family says yeah hey, you could come over to Texas if you have like a job or an internship or something, you could always stay with us. So by God, darn it. I figure out a way to do it. So I figure out there's a film studio in Las Colinas, Texas, which is in the Dallas Fort Worth area is where my uh, girlfriend at the time uh, grew up, you know? And so I call them, I said, do you have any internships? And they're like, Oh, what, what, what do you do? I was like, Oh, I just produced a movie, you know? And they were like, Oh, okay. So they brought me out. You know, or I brought myself out, but they let me intern there. So it justified me hanging out with my girlfriend all summer. But I actually learned a lot at the Las Colinas Movie Studio on how to run a studio. And they shot, uh, like, uh, Mike Judge's office space there. Oh, no shit. Uh, they shot Barney there. and Tons of commercials. Like, tons. It's like a major ad space. And a ton of other movies, too. Uh, any movie, if it's kind of shot in that area, is at that movie studio. So I worked there. So that was cool. So I got that quote unquote internship experience. But, you know, I was just there for my girlfriend. I, I learned some things here and there. It was cool. Uh, a couple of commercials shot there while I was there, but nothing, nothing, no movies or anything. And so then I go back in second year. Uh, and then uh, I, I, start acting in, you know, plays at the, at the school, uh, start actually getting cast in plays at the school. And it's like a, a great year of acting and doing a lot of stuff, having fun, college fun, going to TJ, you know, cause well, I'm here in LA, San Diego, TJ doing all the college stuff. Year three, uh, the movie's done. We finally finished the movie. And that's my, like my quote unquote senior year, even though it's my fifth year. And I'm supposed to get internships in or I'm supposed to get internship hours in order to uh, graduate. And a little fucking thing happened. The uh, actors union went on strike at that time or the, the uh, stage actors union went on strike at that time. So all of our acting internships 
uh, were null and void. Oh, so shit. We didn't, they, they stripped us of our internship, which was actually a way to get jobs, like t- to learn how to join those those actors equity union, do all that kind of stuff. So I was a little like, man, these fucking guys suck, man. You can't get us like a, a like some gig, but they're on strike. So I uh, leveraged it and found a way to to let them uh, let me apply for an internship at a movie studio doing production work because they wouldn't allow me to do this to you know the internship and in acting to do the acting work. Uh, and, you know, and I know it doesn't serve acting well, but I figure at least I get an internship out of it. You know, some something you know. And so I applied to Sony Pictures, and um, I got uh, an internship at Sony Pictures working in Screen Gems in their marketing department. Hold on, brother. (coughs) Sorry about that. So um, that was kind of cool, man. I ended up working uh, on the marketing plan uh, in the distribution for uh, You Got Served. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> when I when I say that, it's not just it's not just uh that was actually the first studio film I ever worked on. You got served. You know what? And, not, uh, Ellen, not to interrupt you. I'm just I'm I'm pulling up the pictures from from her in that movie Error. Yeah, she's pretty fucking dumpy, dude. Yeah. I don't want to shit on her, but goddamn. Yeah. I could see uh I like unless I was slamming down drinks at a bar and trying to close the night out, I don't know if I would. Yeah, yeah. She. It, it looks like when she went to Hollywood that they trimmed her ass the fuck down because they shaved about like thirty pounds off her fat ass. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, by the time she went into Ugly Betty, I think she had lost forty pounds. Oh, big time, easily. Yeah, yeah. Easily. I'm look. I'm looking at the the era when she filmed the movie. I'm like, holy fuck, dude. There was some major like. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wasn't a chubby chase. She was really chasing me, man. Hard. Yeah, but the, it's hard. It dude. was hard chasing me. Like there, you know, what? I'm looking at the picture and of I, her from the movie. I forgot about uh, the part in the movie where they're fucking in their undies, and if she's in her underwear. It's like, and I'm just looking at her like, nah, no way, not even once. All right, bro. No one's gonna listen. My wife's not gonna listen to this. Uh, so You're not imagine, criticizing her. I am. I can criticize. No, ima- imagine, imagine, uh, someone had because I had. This is how I operated my dorm. That semester, I didn't have a roommate. My Hong Kong roommate ended up changing rooms to be with another Hong Kong per- person from Hong Kong that they went to high school with. So he had changed, and he had changed at like some point in the semester where. I ended up with the room by myself. So I turned the room into like a, the door is always open. I never closed my door. I was like, why? Like you have to use a key card to enter the building. And none of these motherfuckers want any of the poor shit I have. They have way better shit than I do, you know? So I was trying to use that to my advantage. Like, I don't care if I'm the poor shit. You can always have access to my room, whatever. And that actually was a good like ploy. It was a good move. So, but because of that, you know, you imagine like uh, that chick, you know, in that state, you know, you show up to your room and she's like there naked. Uh, no, no. Ready to go. I'm looking at her right now just in her undies and no fucking way, dude. She's like every bit she of, did. she's like 
uh, that she's like five six, every bit of like two hundred and twenty pounds. And mind you, I I mean I had like she looks like I a stack not, of Jello. Get the fuck out of here with not, that. I was not desperate. I had plenty of options. Attention, options. Yeah. All it was. I was great. You know, I was doing fine. Dropping down to uh, uh, her level, and she was hardcore pressing me. So I went on a few dates with her, you know, and she's a similar interests, all that kind of shit. But, um, but anyhow, she just, I don't know, man. I just couldn't, I couldn't get over the hump, man. I'm looking so, at it right now. There's no fucking way I would have, like, I, I would have had been fucking wasted at the end of the night of the bar closing that shit down. And even then it would have been questionable. Like, fuck, that's a lot of ass to crawl up on top of. It's like. Yeah, man, you gotta be into it. I mean, I'm not dogging it. it, it it's not even that. Know, for, okay, hold on, hold on. You gotta be into hold, it. You hold, gotta hold on. get. Let me, let me do some context because if I'm older now, so now I can get I could get past it being older. But if I was a young dude chasing down some tell, and that's what I got presented like around twenty, I'd be like, fuck that. Nope. Mind you, okay, the whole time I I spent at Valley two years after, I chased no tail my goal is to get out of Sacramento or do something else. Yeah. And I had seen so many of my friends fall victim to babies or like getting in these fucked up relationships where they're just fucked up, like constantly fighting and <clears throat> just fucked up. And I, I, I just didn't like that shit. And I'm like, there's too much life to live. I want to do too much in my life than be tied down to something that's, I'm not really sure about, you know, or a townie or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Someone from my high school, you know, it's so fucking lame. So anyhow, um, but, you know, I told myself when I get to SC, that's, uh, that's something different, you know? So, you know, uh, it, it, it was cool. It was different. You know, I embraced it and, um, man, just, uh, you know, having that opportunity with, with that person. And I've had opportunities with a lot of other people, even past, you know, being in a dedicated relationship, even being married, you know, sometimes people will thrust themselves upon you <laughs> and it's up to you to resist temptation or not. And whether you have respect for yourself or your relationship with someone or not. So anyhow, so I'm at screen gems. You got served. And uh, I'm not just working on the marketing, quote unquote. Like it involves like going to the premieres, doing the junkets, interviewing press, all kinds of stuff. It's cool. I'm like learning that marketing side of like the industry. And it's totally by accident. They're the only people that responded to the damn. I applied to like a hundred internships, but I'm an acting major and I'm. I pitched that I had done this other thing. It's just like nobody responded. And plus a lot of the internships or whatever, they're just filled up with people's cousins and nephews and blah, blah, blah. So I know nobody. These fuckers responded. I showed up. Uh, the first day they did laugh at me because I showed up in a leather suit. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Nicholas Cage. Out there, bro. <laughs> what the leather? What made you fucking think that was a go move? I went to the Burlington Coat Factory. 
You oh, I know you're a hood cat, then. You were thinking I'm gonna score some decent fits at the Burlington. Yeah, bro. This is still. I'm still not that far removed from I, Sacramento, dude. Bro. I went to Burlington all the time. It was right next to Florin Mall. Dude, when they go, okay. Here's another thing: when you go to USC, and you go to the Marks Tower dorms at USC, uh, they give you a fucking list. You're just reminding me of this shit now. It's just hitting my head of places to go nearby if you need, like you know toilet paper or you want to buy like you know shampoo shit so they send you to this target that's kind of close by but not really they send you to this other place or this walmart that's like way by pasadena like far away so i was like dude no way i i could swore i remember seeing something (laughs) close by uh, when I was driving from LAX, like when I was like doing like the visits and stuff. And so then I go into, you know, Google or early Google or Yahoo. I think I was at the Yahoo uh, page and I find out there's a fucking Walmart a mile and a half away on the corner of King and Crenshaw. But the problem is they don't want kids from USC going to the corner of King and Crenshaw. Oh, because a lot of the kids are there get fucking swindled. Or that's not their... A lot of those kids probably don't operate in that area. I was shocked. It was one of those, like, slight red pill moments in your life. And I was like, fuck, dude. Some of these people are insulated the fuck up. And King and Crenshaw's just... It looks like Florin, bro. So anything you've seen in the movies about Crenshaw, Crenshaw Mafia, motherfucker. Dude, motherfuckers in Florence take it way more seriously because they saw it in a movie. I'm telling you, it's Florence scarier than parts of South Central that are way demonized in the films. Oh, no shit. I'm not even fucking joking with you. Parts of Tulsa, Oklahoma are way worse and scarier than the... the overly fucking dramatized parts of LA that you see in movies. It's just the scary parts of these people that live in the nice parts. So the people that live in the nice fucking parts, they, they see these other parts as fucking like, Oh shit. Oh no. It it makes them shake. Well, it's funny you say that it doesn't, for them that's, that's the worst it gets. But the funny thing, it's, it's funny you say that because there's a guy that we work with. Him, his wife works in the pharmaceutical fields, makes like two hundred some thousand dollars a year, and um, they live in a remote reality from everybody else. And I want to say it was probably about two or three years ago. He's like, "Guess what?" I was like, "What?" He's, like, "I went to Walmart." I was like, "Yeah, motherfucker, we all go there." He's like, "No, I've never been, man. I went there, man. The prices are cheap." I was like, "Yeah, that's where everybody else shops. What the fuck are you talking about?" He's. I don't like going. I, he's. I've never been there though. I just. It, it always seemed like it was low class. It's like, motherfucker. It's not low class. It's average. That's where average motherfuckers go to get average shit. Welcome to fucking reality. Yeah. I remember living. I remember kind of sort of semi mall ratting the fucking Walmart on El Grove Boulevard in '99. Well, I don't know if you were still there when that that Walmart opened up right there on Florin, right there off. Um, uh, the turnout right before Franklin. So if you no, go, no, no. Yeah. So the, well, one of my exes had slammed a cart into Raina's stomach 
So one of my ex girlfriends, this black girl Kiki, uh, Raina was uh, there. Yeah, <laughs> she Raina was there shopping, <laughs> and this black girl took the cart and rammed it into her. And she was there with some of her friends. She's like, I heard you was fucking no or something like that, and like they were gonna try to beat Raina's ass at Walmart. Wow, yeah. I had never known that story. She never revealed that. She must have been kind of like not not cool with what happened. Oh, she gave me some <laughs> shit over. It's like, what what do you want me to do? Like, what? I'm gonna go beat her ass. Let me know where she's at. I'll stomp her in the ground. She a hood bitch. She'll be cool with it, <laughs> bro. So anyhow, but anyhow, so that I, I was cool with that Walmart, and you know what? One of the things that was cool, I, I, I remember I tried to take America to that Walmart. This is kind of act fucking Noah, the fucking disconnect. You 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 take out the stories out of people, bro. Like, I don't know what you what ayahuasca you putting through this mic microphone. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm remembering something that was fucking I remember being shocked because this is the first time I ever found out that uh I I always thought like America grew up in like the hood or something. Yeah, you thought she was she, a you thought she was a barrio chick. The only reason why I found out at that time that she was from Woodland Hills and what Woodland Hills was is I tried to take her to that Walmart on King and Crenshaw. Scared to death. She didn't she wouldn't go. Why? It was a dangerous neighborhood. That they're all over the place. Bro, she wouldn't go, bro. She wouldn't go. I was just going to get a lamp for my fucking dorm because my uh, roommate had left. So my goal was to like pimp out this dorm for like 30 bucks. And I was, I was going to go get a, a lamp at this Walmart, <coughs> some fucking uh, like uh, sheets to turn my old roommate's bed into a couch. I mean, this was going to be like the den of fucking some love shit. You know what I mean? I was going to get this shit ready. So I was going to the Walmart and so I told her I was going to go to Walmart and uh, buy this stuff. And she was like, oh, cool. I want to go. And she was like, yeah, well, along the way, like we're going to go to Pasadena or something. And I was like, no, because that's where all the kids went to Walmart. It's like an hour away, bro. This other thing is 1.5 miles away. It's a walking distance. Yeah, I drove my pickup. You know, I had a good parking space so I could be able to do it. But no, I didn't I didn't fucking drive. I didn't walk. But like it's literally like USC is imagine uh maybe it's whatever. Imagine USC is at the ninety nine and Mac, like at that Mr. Perry's yeah, SMP. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Franklin and Mac is the uh Walmart. That, that's does not that the, make geographical sense? Yeah, it does. Yes, I could walk, but it'd be a bitch walk. Yeah. You, you want to hear Fuck something? My walk. You want to hear something hella funny though? The, the, on the side. Yeah. On the side note. So when I was driving Uber, it was probably like near the like the kind of right before the pandemic hit. I think it was still 2019. So I don't know if you've been out by in, in the South area anymore, over by 24th Street in uh in Meadowview or uh, Mac Road. I like, did, yes, so, actually, so recently, they've yes, kind of they've kind of flipped that area a little bit, so it has a lot of makeup, but it's still the same hood cats that have always been there. Well, the thing, like that's right there by the gardens too, where where area was deep hot for like all the nineties and shit like that. Where a lot of those streets now on Twenty Fourth Street, boom to Mac or Meadowview, they've been bought out by the fraternity, so the frat houses are getting uh, put up there. 
So I picked Which frat for where frat frat houses for Sac State. That far? Yep. So I was I picked up these kids from Sac State, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go to a frat house." I was like, "Cool, you know, whatever." So I accept the destination. I kind of looked. I was like, "Yo, you know, you guys are going right?" They're like, "Yeah, we're going to the frat houses." I was like, "Okay, that's what you're going. That's where you're going." So we're driving out there, and it's not night, so you can't tell how bad the area is. You just so we're. I shoot, I get off on uh, 12th and I head up Franklin where it's bombing through the hood. And, like, I don't think these kids are paying attention. When one of the kids noticed, it's like, man, this area looks like shit. I was like, yeah, because this whole area is shit. So we're shooting up 24th Street and we, we, we pull up probably about a block before the before Meadowview and they're getting out and everything. And I was like, yeah, if I were you guys, I would not be walking around here at night by yourselves. And, like, well, we'll be at the frat. I was like, no, like, that's a serious fucking statement. You're a bunch of white kids from, like, Oklahoma. This is not the area you want to go stomping around by uh-huh. yourselves in the middle of the fucking night. And I remember when the kid in the back seat, he's like, we'll be fine. And he gets out, and all of a sudden you hear a crunch. He's like, what's that? And I look out the window. I was like, that's a broken 40 bottle. Good night. And I just fucking, they got out of the car, and I left. I was like, you. Oh, bro, f- I, I spent night after night, corner of King and Crenshaw, M&M Soul Food, right there. It's peaceful, man. That that's your families. But the thing love, is that that you would think, right? What, it based on movies. No, but right? it's all it's all stereotypical. Like if you've never been around those environments, you're automatically scared and you do a lot of dumb shit that you would do in your nice areas. But the moment you go to hood areas, you can't operate that same mentality. You gotta keep your head in a swivel. And not only that, just don't get out of pocket. A lot of those a lot of those kids get out of pocket bad and they don't know what the fuck to do when they get out of pocket. Like those kids from uh, from USC, if you took them there and they acted the way they act normally, that's just not going to fly with a lot of those cats out there. They're not going to put up with that shit. A hood cat motherfucker is not going to put up with some bullshit from a white kid like that. Like this yeah, it's, a it's, flagrant it's a, mentality about being an asshole. I mean, I just think that's just life, right? Isn't yeah. that just common sense? Don't be a dick, period. You not know? that, but if you're a dick, man, be ready to stand your ground. Or just like, hey, hey, look around, man. Look around. <coughs> if you if you look around and if you see like, I don't know, the the Brazilian statue, that beautiful thing of Jesus, you know. Okay, know where you're at. You're in Brazil. Whatever. Have some respect for wherever you're at or whatnot. It's the same in America. Well, I, I, but I the think cultures change from block to block they sometimes. Do. They do. But you know, it's I, okay. Just respect where you're at. But Don't I, just assume everything is going to be like you like it. Well, that's the thing. I, I think those kids are so used to operating like the kids that would yell at their parents. I, I think they carry over a lot of that mentality into how they operate and conduct themselves. So when you get those kids like that, they get to running their mouths hot. And I don't think they realize that Temperatures turn up quick in areas like that. Like, if you're cool and you're just minding your shit, you're not going to catch anything. But if you're out there, like, talking shit or just kind of fucking, like, shitting on everybody, like, subcon- hood cats pick that shit up and they'll fucking use you as a target. Like, we, I used to do shit when I lived in the South Sack like that. You can get some out of the area, you can see right away, like, this motherfucker's not from out here. And you just yeah. automatically know, you're like, this fucker's a target. I wonder if he has any money. I mean, honestly, you're probably more prone to, like, some sort of crime against you oh. in, like, a touristy area <laughs> yes. in L.A. Yes. Like, because people hunt tourists down and yes. you look a little touristy or something. But those, and, but yeah, those, okay. those motherfuckers going to Walmart, they got more important shit going on in their life than to but worry bro, about that's you. That's every major city in America. 
That's every major city in the world. Go to Milan and act like a dopey tourist. You're going to get pickpocketed. Yeah. Period. That's just the world, okay? You go someplace where you're foreign and you act dopey. Okay. But what I'm talking about is those hood places that they show you in the movies. What you're talking about, your Uber experience dropping off those guys, I guarantee you a hundred times scarier than like anything you see in the movies, but in reality what it is. So this girl wouldn't go. You know, America wouldn't go to fucking Walmart. Mail the day with, wouldn't, wouldn't go. No, would not go. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck this bitch. But anyhow, at that time, like I was like, it wasn't critical that I go to fucking Walmart and buy some shit. So like we just hung out the rest of the day and like, you know, whatnot, ate lunch and watched movie or whatnot. I think it was like the next day I saw my, you know, other girl I was seeing at the time, which was the girl I was actually really interested in, but she wasn't pressing me. Like the, the thing is, is America was pressing me and I really wasn't into it, but I, I dug her as a person. It was like the first time I was ever like attracted to a personality, but not a, a body. You <laughs> sound like a girl. He's cute, but I don't like the way he looks. I'm a guy with limited experience, even at 20, because like I was mission critical, get out of LA. So I'm just starting to like learn like what I like, what I don't like, kind of, you know. And so I'm learning like, yeah, I really have to be attracted to you. It, it's a it's a must. It can't just be all talk. You know what I mean? It, it, it great. We had some awesome conversations solo with friends, you know, whatnot. It was a great college time, but, uh, but then I ended up seeing, you know, I was seeing my, the other girl, like we're hanging out this day, you know, and then, uh, I, I just float to her about going to Walmart. It wasn't a test or anything. I was like, Oh, I got to go to Walmart. She was like, Oh, I love Walmart. I miss Walmart. You know, cause I guess in DFW area, Walmart is also like a cultural, like landmark or some shit you do, you know, okay. you, everyone goes to Walmart because it's like, it's the biggest store period. You know, they, they sell furniture at Walmart in Texas. They sell <laughs> refrigerators. They sell, I don't know if you ever, have you ever been to a Texas Walmart? Nah, nah. It's a whole different dimension of Walmarting. It's, it's the biggest that you can spend a whole day in a Walmart. There. It's basically you know, like a Sam's club type of shit. Yeah. It, it is beyond man. Uh, it's like, it's not like bulk though, but it's just so much shit. Anyhow, um, I think even Walmart sells lumber. In what? Uh, yeah, it, it, this the, in Texas, some Walmart sell lumber. So this one that she's used to, the one close to her house, sells lumber and fertilizer and farm shit, barbed wire fencing. No shit. Yeah, like they're really in tune with what the fuck's going on there. But anyhow. So she, I tell her, I was like, cool. And I was like, so I tell her where it's at now cognizant of how like, you know, America took it, you know, this girl had no problem. She was like, okay, cool. You know, it's not like she was ignorant. Like she had never seen like a South central hood movie. She like, actually her parents are cinephiles. Like I ended up learning that, you know, being with them, like they, they watch tons of movies. Major pop movie consumers. Would, would you call so, them cinephiles? 
Yeah, man. How's that I mean? learned so much. Actually, in that summer, it's the first time I ever watched the Turner classic movies. Well, Turner's, never knew it. Turner's dope because he got a lot of cowboy movies. I love cowboy movies. I never knew that channel existed. I was hooked. If I wasn't at, at the studio doing that, you know, internship stuff or hanging out with them, I was hooked on TCM. They're the kind of family that they come down the stairs, they turn on the TV, and it's just TCM that turns on. And all day is TCM. And so anyhow, I watched, like, first time I watched Hitchcock films, first time I watched, I mean, so many films, man. It just, it was it was wonderful. Um, Imitation of Life, first time I saw that film. Oh, my God. Any uh, um, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Uh, oh my God, that is just Cagney. Didn't know who that person was. Anyhow, so it was a cool summer where I watched a lot of films with them and, and did that. But, but anyhow, so, <clears throat> so, you know, I'm, I'm at, you know, screen. So anyhow, so th- that was the first time, you know, like going to Walmart, you know, so that, so that was one of the differentiators, you know, and like keeping it real. But I'm at Screen Gems now, so I'm trying to get back on track. So I'm at Screen Gems now, and uh, they're the only people that called me back. So I go there, and I show up in that leather suit. and uh, Hot as fuck. Yeah. They laugh so hard, man. And I was like, what? And immediately, that South Sack, you know, yo mama defense mentality kicks in. Will you joke back? And I, this is the person I said this to. He was the executive vice president of marketing. Right now, he is the president of Warner Brothers. Woo! But at that time, I he started laughing. His, name, his name's Mark Weinstock. Very famous guy still. We, we keep up sometimes. He's busy. Uh, he... Uh, he makes fun of me, and then I make fun of his high water pants. Hell yeah, his, that's his a go move. His shit was a little bit high, right? So I was like, "What's up? You ready for the flood?" And, <laughs> which was an ABC joke. Yeah, in at Valley. Oh yeah, and they'd be like, like "I didn't know it was flooding." Yeah, right. You know, uh, you know, if at, at Valley, I mean, I'd be like, "Okay," they'd be like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, we won't laugh you off, but fuck you, you, you that that's not worthy, right?" But dude, it brought down the house. Oh, they never heard that. Front. No. Yeah, that was the thing because Sacramento always flooded back in the day. People so like, "Fuck, you waiting for the flood to roll through?" Everybody looked at this dude and laughed immediately back at him. And I didn't know that there was like, whatever. He thought it was fucking awesome that I like stood back up to him. He was the boss. Right or one of the big bosses. And what? So you're supposed so, to bow down to him? I don't know, man. But most people wouldn't or whatever. I don't know. I did the South Sac thing because my like my little South Sac Spidey sense kicked in, and I knew I had to defend myself slightly. <laughs> but anyhow, I didn't realize that like these like D plus South Sac jokes are like slayers in Hollywood. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> all these quick shit talking moves, and you just go fucking run with them. Bro, it just was like all of a sudden all this samurai South Sac training I've had, it just like kicks in, man. It was dope. Anyhow, so so anyway, I get past the leather suit day and whatnot. I work on uh you got served. I end up like Okay, hold on, hold on. We got we gotta circle back to that fucking suit thing though. 
I'm kind of <laughs> What made you think that was a go-to move? I like that film, Johnny Brasco. Oh, Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco. Sorry, Donnie Brasco. With uh, Johnny Depp and, uh, and what's yeah. his face? Al Pacino. And I thought he had a cool swagger, like a, like an exec. And I, I didn't want to come off as like corporate-y. I just wanted to be cool. So I thought that's what you did in Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know, man. When I showed up and everybody just had slacks and just some fucking shirt, like hella basic, I was like, oh, damn. I felt it too. I felt it like the whole day. And uh, so I yeah, showed up in a leather type suit. Burlington coat factory had extra long tails, so it looked like kind of a jacket too. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, with a blue tie, uh, sparkly blue tie, um, lugs, leather, black leather lugs. Lugs was always I got. I still have a fuck ton of lugs. They still sell lugs. I'm not trying to joke. I'm no, I, I don't. I don't know. But the, the lugs I have are just from back in my days when I used to run around South Sac. I got like Dude. fuck. I think I got like I got like three pairs of lugs and like four pairs of Stacy Adams still. Stacy Adams. I see those sometimes at uh, Nordstrom's rack. Oh no shit! I didn't know they were still yeah. in circulation. Yeah, I yeah, still rock Stacey them once Adams. in a while. If we go out somewhere, I'll put them on. It's a dress shoe. I mean, why not? No, nah, they're like we sold it. Everything. Well, them are the boots, man. You get in a fight, you can still stomp somebody with those things. <laughs> that was always the go-to. Like lugs, man. You could still stomp somebody down with those things. It was crazy, man. So anyhow, this, so this is like my first creative Hollywood, man. And I'm coming in South Sacking it. And we're going to <laughs> premieres. I meet, uh, you know, Marquise Houston, uh, Marion. I meet the whole uh, B2K crew. I'm backstage at like music video production, everything. And then I'm I'm there at a point in music history. I mean, a point that was it just shocked the world, bro. I was in the room when B2K announced that they were breaking up. Who the fuck is B2K? <laughs> it's a boy band, rap boy band from the fucking early aughts. It's so gay. So just whatever, bro. Like just I, was, I was still listening. Garbage. To, I was just still just listening to Sacramento rappers, man. It it's just it's just corporate garbage. You see, just regurgitated crap. It was just DJ Funk Flex guy, Master Flex or Funk Master Flex, Funk Master Flex. Yeah, whatever the fuck. Anyhow, there were I met like so many weird dudes through this because like. It just opened up that music scene, yeah. you know, and like I, like I, if I run into Marion today, I can still chat for like forever about like our experience on that movie, you know. Yeah, I, I remember Marion. He was uh he was tied to the to that one group. Those those kids those kids that grew up the three um, trying to think of the name of them. They did the house party movie. Fuck, what's the name of them? They were in a trio. It was they were like an R and B band. Uh, and, and all um, for one? No, 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 no. Is um, what the fuck? I have to Google some shit while we're talking. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Fuck, dude. They played in one of the house party movies. They were like the badass three kids, in like um, close to the end of the oh, house. Yeah, 
Yeah, but Omarion spawned from those cats. He, uh, they, I think they helped put his shit together for him. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't really remember the origins of Marion, but I remember the origins of Marquise Houston because of my love of sitcoms and uh, crushes I had, a TV crush I had on a Sister Sister. Is it the, tw- the twins? I'm familiar. I'm just looking up Marquise Houston. Maybe I don't recognize the name. He was, little, yeah. he was like the little he, kid on that show. Yeah, he was in a band. He was in a band. Yeah. He was in an R&B band. I'm trying to remember the band's name. Fuck. Well, I remember he left the show for the band, and then, then that's when they premiered the band's music video. Yeah, Immature. He was in. He was Immature. immature. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then uh, he helped spawn Omarion's a, a uh, career, if I remember. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Anyhow... Uh, but anyhow, I, I, I mean, I came into his life like way later just during that. And we, we, I mean, we spent so much time like talking about break dancing. Why does he still like performing? Why is he, he didn't even, he doesn't even, this person doesn't remember not being in front of a camera. No shit. Yeah. Cause I remember they were immature. They two were hella old. young. No, two years old. His parents has him in commercials. Oh, no shit. No shit. Yeah. Like Gerber shit, like you know, he's in. He does not physically remember not being in front of a camera. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, another guy. Uh, anyhow. So anyhow, but but anyhow, so so I'm, I'm spending a lot of time with him. You know, I'm learning like the ropes on marketing. And I'm finishing up my last semester in at SC, and then the film is done. Fugitive Hunter is done. At that time, it was titled End of the Law. And then um, we took it to this place called the American Film Market in Santa Monica to try to generate buzz to see if we can get into big festivals around the world. And uh, what ended up happening is uh, we ended up being this like small time little agent for the film. They ended up renting this small suite at the Santa Monica uh, um, Lowe's. Uh, it's like a hotel resort on the beach in Santa Monica. And then uh, we we cut the coolest fucking trailer out of our film, man. And we play it at this one pavilion at the right time, like four times a day. You can pick when you can like market your film. And that there are thousands of films in this hotel. When you go into this hotel, there are thousands of films waiting to be sold. Most of concepts, but there's still hundreds of finished films waiting to be sold. And so we become the toast of the of the market. And we ended up selling the most territories of any non-studio finance film. We sell to Thailand, Bangladesh, India, Britain, all over the world. All over the world. We even get into China. Uh, one of the few at the time to get. Uh, and then the film, I mean, the film subsequently in America does like nothing. Like it's in, it, we get distributed by Lionsgate film. Uh, we get put on a DVD shelf next to The Fugitive. Okay, cool. Nobody buys it. 
It goes uh, rental all over the country. So we end up making our money back. But it's not like a success. Like we didn't end up getting the traction that like America's film got. We ended up going to Sundance. It just wasn't of that caliber. You know, but it was the first time I had that reality. I was like, ah, shit. So it's not a success. It's cool, but it's not going to get us anywhere. So I end up uh, graduating from uh, SC and then uh, start working at Stone Pictures at Columbia Pictures. And at the same time, my film drops all over the country and is actually playing internationally in movie theaters in the Netherlands. So it's uh, so dubbed in Dutch. So, but Fugitive Hunter did good uh, worldwide then, it sounds like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We ended up making okay around the world. That's how we ended up making money back. But in, in the United States, it just wasn't, I don't know, it just didn't pick up, you know. It's a hard so market. We ended up making our money. It just, it just didn't. The market was also changing at that time. We didn't know. But you know what, man? Bro, we were disappointed, but in reality, we should not have been. This was some bullshit that we just said, yeah, let's do it. Like I just told you, right? But after, like, three years of shooting, editing, marketing, learning all the ropes, like, you end up building all these hopes for what it could be. It ends up being bigger. You feel like there's, like, a destiny to it. Like, why else would I have met this person and this person and whatnot? And then um, it ends up just making its money back and, oh, well, okay, well, we move on and do it again. In reality, it, it taught me so much. It was great. It was this extracurricular activity that I just did, and I learned a lot. And honestly, because I had that on my resume, is the only thing that Screen Gems said why they called me. Really? You know? Yeah, they were like, oh, it just showed that you were just like kind of dedicated to film. I didn't have, even though I went to SC, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know, you know, and my name is weird, you know, like, you know, so like, for them, it's like a complete unknown. So, but they were just like ah, internship at that time. It's college credit only, so no skin off their back. So, <clears throat> but because of it, you know, it makes money and it's fun. I get to go around the country, showing it off. So hold on, I, I want to. I kind of want to circle back to the Screen Gems. So, what were you doing with Screen Gems while you were working with them? So just, you know, a couple, three days a week uh, working um, and on the weekends and some nights uh, around my last semester of classes at, at, uh, at USC. So I'm, uh, I'm an intern and uh, I follow around uh, the, the executives. I'll take notes at their meetings. I'll go when an executive goes on set for like a video shoot or a press shoot. And I'll take the notes at those meetings. Uh, you just do whatever the fuck they tell you to do as an intern. There's like no job specific. You're just sort of in the background. Sometimes you pick up everybody's lunch. Somebody, I mean, it was like I had just produced the film. And some would say that this was demeaning. But I still felt like, hey, I'm doing this in Hollywood. So, like, this is not demeaning to me. You know, so... uh and then, you know, like, eventually people talk. They lay down their guard. People, humans become humans. And then that's how you eventually talk to, like, Marcus Houston and, you know, you chat, you know. 
you know, in between whatever you're doing. And then you'd like chill. And then what, you know, he invites you like, Hey, uh, what you doing later today? Uh, well, I, I don't know. Hey, uh, you and your girl come up to, to my house and we're going to have a party. And it's like, everyone's there, bro. You know what I mean? Like everyone you ever saw on TGIF are, is at this dude's party, but older. And it's sort of weird. You know what I mean? It's just like having a cool time, you know? So anyhow, so that's like kind of like my introduction to Hollywood was that internship. And, and it, uh, did it was you, cool. It's funny when you're talking about the intern thing. I take it you haven't watched that Bo Burham's Inside yet? Not yet. It's on my to-do. Well, here, here. You know, I subscribe to everything. You know, when you subscribe to everything, Apple it's, TV Plus, it, uh, Paramount Plus. There's so Plus, much content. Blah, blah, blah. Bro, I have a, a whiteboard in my office of VIP to watch, and it's like a hundred shows long. Here, here, l- listen, this is one of the this is one of the fucking songs he cut, and you talking about the intern just made me think of it. Listen to this real quick. Who needs a coffee? Cause I'm doing a run. I'm writing down the orders now for everyone. The coffee is free, just like me. I'm an unpaid intern. Sorting papers, running around, around. sitting in the meeting room, not making a sound. sound. Barely people, somehow legal, unpaid intern. You work all day, go back to your dorm, and since you can't afford a mortgage, you just tore in a porn, because you're an intern. Unpaid. (laughs) Hey, everybody. (laughs) Fuck yeah, hell yeah. You know what? You know what the benefit was? I had just come out of South Sac. I was delivering pizzas around Mac Road. <laughs> and now you're I, working for Sony. No, no. As an intern, I'm technically not working for Sony. Okay, I am okay. a college credit. So I'm still in college. Just a couple years later, I'm in Omarion's house, Marcus Houston's house. I'm at uh, Steve Harvey's house. Uh, you know, I'm having fun, man. Oh yeah, that's and huge. I still know those people. And what's funny is, like, my son today loves fucking Family Feud, and I cannot wait to tell him. I I've, I know that guy. You know, I I sort of do that. You know, like, but like, it's cool. You know, like, I just see my son like have magic over Steve Harvey. He like, he goes Steve Harvey. And you the, know, and the funny the thing about eyes. that, though, he won't know Steve Harvey for his comedy. He'll know Steve Harvey for the Family Feud. Yeah, which he does an amazing job. He's awesome. See, on I, Family I, Feud. Like I, I can't watch that. I like Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey for the comedy he did back in the Kings of Comedy. Oh, that, that, pfft, that's of course. Yeah, like that's what I remember him as a comedian. I can't watch him what he does now. I'm like, ugh, it's like a shell of what he used to be. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is funny, too, because I'm also I work on two films at that time. First was Screen Gem. Uh, first was You Got Served. And second was another one called. Um, oh, my God. Uh, it's a Nicolas Cage uh, Kaufman film uh, adaptation. Oh, that's a hell of a good movie. OK, so I work. On, I fucking love that movie. It was hella good. <clears throat> the movie's great. So it, it it was an acquisition of a it was a weird like. The way Screen Gems got it was sort of a weird way. I could go in length about it, but it would not interest you guys. But So I ended up working on that film, on the press for that. Again, all the same stuff. So like, I get to have conversations too with Nick Cage. 
I get to have conversations with Kaufman. I get to have conversations with, and I don't know why. And like, you know what? One of my executives told me like, you know, not every intern talks with everybody. You know that, right? But for some reason, people like to talk to me. And I think it was that South Sac vibe. You know, I still rubbed off that. Not giving a shit. I don't know. I don't. It just, oh, well, that's the mentality you get. Kept like, it real, you know. It's I, not even I wasn't it, trying to impress them. I, I, never, I don't think it's even that. I just think when you grow up in the environment where your expectations are low, you really don't care what you like, how you interact. You just interact. I think I just did things so unorthodox out of just pure ignorance of what that culture yes. was that it just I stuck out a little bit, and because I wasn't an asshole, it was sort of forgiven if not like amusing and like an entry into something <laughs> like I was, yeah, they, I, I, I got laughed at a little bit, but like, you know, like, who cares? You know, I don't know. It just a, a lot of things, you know, a, a lot of those kind of weird things that when you enter a new culture, which that is, you know, you just learn. And so I work on adaptation and, Nick Cage is an intense dude. I I meet him many, many times later working at Sony uh, post-graduation. So I graduate. I end up working, uh, taking a job working at Columbia Pictures. It's still at Sony Pictures. Columbia Pictures uh, in their theatrical, creative advertising. So it's not producing. But I am a literal just... Hollywood assistant to an executive that made $1.5 million a year was his salary. Woo. This man had money, this man, and this man is also, uh, we can go on and on about this man. He was spoiled as fuck, but he came from nothing. And he was a high school dropout that worked at an ad agency delivering tapes. And one day they let him, hop on a computer and he turned out to be pretty good at editing. And then he rose his way up the ranks at that firm and then jumped ship and then joined the studio and became the president of marketing. And so a president of creative, creative advertising and I'm his executive assistant. And this guy's like serious work, man. He's we're doing James Bond when the brand new casino uh, Royale. Yeah. Casino Royale. Yes. We're, we're, I, I'm there in the process of making that first logo, you know, like how are we going to make the O and I'm seeing like how many thousands of iterations they'll go to that looks so different and similar. And so I'm learning how the posters are made, how the trailers are cut. And I'm also learning that I don't like any of this. Like I was just like, oh, I want to do the, I want to work on the complete opposite end of the other side of the studio. And so, but anyhow, this guy was just a nightmare to work for, man. He was just like crazy dude. Anyhow, uh, but I ended up leaving him uh, and working over Columbia Pictures, Pictures and Production um, and working where, you know, the scripts are developed and where the scripts are made and who approves them and so I'm working with all the creative executives. And so I'm a Hollywood assistant. Like, like, like you've seen all those movies riding around the you know, studio with my golf cart, ordering interns around, go get coffee. One of them passes out 
coffee out of like heating because the the order was just a little big that day. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Shit like that, bro. And I, I just, my first managing experience in Hollywood was managing interns. You know, I just get an internship experience, you know? And so <clears throat> Roland's listening to all the calls, listening to all the banter. Hollywood, the celebrities coming in, pitching projects, directors pitching projects. And that was the real thing I saw was when the directors are coming in, the producers are coming in and pitching their projects. I dug it, man. I really dug that sort of uh, life. You know, I, I, I was like, I want I want to like do this, you know. So on the side, I start like developing writers and trying to pitch them at studios. I end up pitching at a few studios at Warner Brothers, uh, Pass, you know, World Pass, uh, Lionsgate, same thing, even though we had just released a movie through them. So like I ended up you know, going on that, produced five feature film, uh, develop five feature films, all to have them not become produced, you know. Uh, some of them we ended up getting, you know, investments for not getting enough to trigger the uh, escrow accounts to let's start releasing phones. So like, no, it, it was rough, you know? So like a couple years out, I'm like, I'm trying to be a little too ambitious. Actually, I should have made like an assistant loyal puppy or something, but I, I couldn't do it, man. I got that taste with like fugitive hunter and getting released all over the world. And like, I want to do it again. I want to make another movie. So, you know, I'm doing that. And then, um, so then I just, I quit my job. I quit my Hollywood assistant job. I actually was promoted a coordinator at that time, was probably en route to being an executive. But I didn't want to be an executive. I didn't like, I wanted to be the guys that were pitching the projects, making the projects, doing the projects, not the guys doing the I don't know. I didn't want to be that behind the scenes. I wanted to be even closer. So I thought when I worked in marketing, no, I want to be in creative. So then I got to creative and now like, no, I want to be even closer. And so, uh, I thought producing, you know? And so, um, so I quit, I go back to like, uh, I go back to like, my roots, man. Uh, the reason why I was able to quit was I had, uh, in the process of meeting people and meeting people and meeting people in LA, I was always like very social, go to every party. I met a professor that worked at, uh, Cal state LA. <laughs> and I always was bitching to him about, uh, my life and blah, blah, you know, even though there was nothing to bitch about. I had just come from South Sac. I was, I was starting to get spoiled, man. I was bitching that I couldn't get my project off the ground. How come I can't get my second movie? Blah, blah, blah. In reality, I should have just been like, man, I should just be happy where I'm at. Take it a little slower. But I was like, I was still pushing hard. But it was real hard to get like that Hollywood credibility, get people behind you. So um, he offered me, he was a theater professor at Cal State LA. And he said, hey, uh, I'll give you a position as a teaching associate at Cal State LA. 
and you can get your master's degree in theater. He goes, I, th- I think the theater is where you should be because my undergrad's in theater, actually. Like, like it mattered, whatever. So I it like was so disillusioned by Hollywood at that point because I couldn't get projects off the ground. This is like three years in that I, you know, swore off Hollywood. I'm going to go back to my theater roots. I had a little moment. And then I went to go get my master's in theater. And then I ended up uh, applying and getting a matriculation agreement to go to UCLA to get a PhD in theater performance studies. And I was going to be an academic. I was disillusioned. Uh, but I kind of had that little taste in me, like, ah, I want to do something more, you know. I was, like, studying, and it felt like I was a monk or something. I was just, like, reading books and thinking about theater. And, and you know, and I was like, okay, well, I'm, I, I was auditioning for plays and stuff in, in L.A. They had, like, professional theater, and I was starting to do professional theater in L.A. Like, I was doing professional theater in Sacramento. <clears throat> but then I was like, fuck it. Well, why don't I just audition for, like, a commercial or audition for, I don't know, movies? or Why don't I just go back to acting? You know, why did I get off this tangent with this movie stuff? You know, I came here to be an actor. I came here as an actor. You know what I mean? I, I felt like I hit a tangent. So then I went back into acting while I was at Cal State LA teaching. So I'm teaching at night, working, uh, taking classes like, like midday, and then going to auditions in and around that schedule if I have to, like, skip a class, whatever. And I book, you know... <clears throat> sitco commercial gas commercial i book some commercials commercials were, are dope they make money were, were you cool. were you acting in them or were you producing them no i'm at this point i quit producing okay i was quote unquote disillusioned i was a crybaby i should have kept at it she got a little you hard know, anyhow and you just kind of belled on it yeah because like i don't know yeah you're right because like fugitive hunter kind of came easy I said, let's do it. And then magic happened. Well, really, it wasn't magic. A lot of people worked hard. I just wasn't the one that was pushing the hill up the rock like Wayne was. You know what I mean? So when it came time to when I was starting to push my own projects out there and I was hitting stalls after stalls and I had worked on five of them, five different writers. I was trying to produce the project. I was trying to get it in. I figure I know I've been to Steve Harvey's house everywhere. A lot of other people's houses by then, you know, like, surely enough. I know what it almost felt like everything. you got you like kind of a, a semi entitlement mentality about it. Like how come it's not happening for me type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. I started to assimilate with my culture. Right. <laughs> I started to get into that. Right. So anyhow, um, so I go and I, I, I just straight up back. I got, I got an agent. I'm acting. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'm auditioning for, for sitcoms. I'm auditioning for movies. I get on a couple movies, couple oh, lines here. What, some what, of them get hold cut. on. You just breezed over that pretty quick. What kind of sitcoms did you audition for? Uh, I auditioned for a lot that were pilots that never became. So I didn't even get on the pilot that didn't even become something. Ah. So it was, it was even untitled pilot of certain comedian. Like I was on a, uh, I auditioned twice for a Ben Stiller pilot. 
Like he was going to go do his own like, uh, you know, sitcom. Uh, but one of the ones that really got me, bro, was I ended up auditioning for Ugly Betty. Oh, shit. Third callback to be a love interest. This is not a fucking, uh, this is not a joke, man. So <clears throat> I wasn't by, this wasn't the final callback or anything, but this is at the point where America got to see me. Uh, and she, I, I auditioned in front of her and I could kind of tell she wasn't having, I it. was not going to get the role. Um, <laughs> she bring you on just to shit on you. She did not bring me on. No, no. That oh, was all, you, uh, you didn't even audition in front of her or anything. Well, the first two were in front of the casting director, uh, which was uh, Greenberg, Mark Greenberg. Well, she's a producer of that show, though, right? Isn't she? She will not see like it's a it's like a uh, it was a guest. It, it, it was a guest star. So better than a co-star. It was a guest star. But they're not going to look at everything. They're going to just come in at the end. You know, when it's the last five, ten guys and give it a look. And then when it's the last two guys, she'll do a reading, maybe, if there's a question, maybe, if it, if it matters, you know? So she gave, I was at that point where she just gave it a look, and I could tell she gave it a little longer look when she looked at me. Like, oh, I remember you, motherfucker. <laughs> and I was like, bang, zoom, okay, I guess we all get some sometimes. <laughs> I have no ill will, girl. I get you. You know, I would have done the same shit my South Sack self. So, um, but yeah, my, 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 uh, I didn't, I really wasn't successful in acting either. Or it just takes a long time, man. It just well, takes a long you time. You just got to keep grinding. Like, how, how long, how long, how long did you put effort in trying to land some kind of gigs? No, no, I was, I, I was still going all the way until. Uh, this next part. So then I end up getting, uh, so my buddy Wayne at this point, you know, we fugitive hunter has come and gone. He's still working in bail bonds. Like all the projects we've been putting together have been stalling, you know, it's, it's been rough, you know? And, uh, so he, he, when he quits, we both kind of quit at the same time, but he goes to Japan. Whoa. And he moves, he leaves America. And, uh, I, so I, lo I lose my producing partner. So that's when I, like, I took that, like, oh, I'm quit, you know? But so then I'm doing the acting thing. And then, uh, I'm also doing, you know, academic research on, uh, in theater. I'm doing, uh, dramaturgy. I'm working with playwrights. I'm writing plays, um, which is cool. I had some plays produced regionally, which was cool. Um, you know, in print cool and um i I'm, I'm set to go to ucla but something in me man i don't know what it was missed producing or making films so i just got it in my mind uh because i was looking at this there was some like online forums like message boards where you can go and look up like how to apply to like phd programs grad schools and whatnot <clears throat> and um, I I stumbled upon a little tab that said film school. And I was like, huh. 
So I click on it and I'm kind I'm, I'm of the world view that of Robert Rodriguez, that you don't go to film school, put that money towards making your own film, all that, blah, 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 blah. But I had just been through this grind where I had already done the self-finance route. I saw where it got me. I'm trying this producing route. I see where it gets me. And I'm thinking like, maybe I just need some more like pedigree or some more inroads, more opportunities to do different things. And so I apply to USC film school. I just do the best fucking application I can. The application is this. Uh, This is the creative part of the application. Describe a story in one page and accompany with it eight still images to represent the visual of what you wrote. So I didn't find out till I got into film school that I did the assignment wrong. Oh, but I ended up writing a poem prose that was a takeoff of the uh, Spanish lather and nothing else, which is a shaving metaphor. There's a, there's an old Spanish poem about, a barber that <clears throat> wants to wants to be a revolutionary and this uh, general comes in that's of the opposing, you know, whatever, and he has the opportunity to slit his throat in his chair. And, but, you know, he's got the razor and he we go through his internal monologue of killing this man. But then at the end, he doesn't kill him because... If he doesn't perform his job, like let's say he kills him and he, oh great. He does a good thing. He'll never be trusted as a barber again. No one will ever trust a knife next to his hand with a knife on their throat ever again. He'd have to be like prepared to throw that career out the window. It's one of my favorite poems ever. And, and so, and it's long. So I do a version of it, a one-page truncated version of it, of a barber that hears, he hears sirens, but a man comes in and is disheveled and is obviously running from the cops and just sees the price and says, I want to shave. And so the barber then gives him a shave and a haircut while there's sirens outside. And he has this dialogue like, dude, I think this guy's like, what the fuck? But, you know, I'm also a barber. I'm also pro, you know. Am I going to, like, rat this motherfucker out, right? So that's the the poem. It's, it's a one-page poem like that. In the end, he chooses not to do anything and gives him a free pass, gives him a, you know, haircut and shave, quick shave, and then smashes a beer, right? That's the poem. So then I go to a friend of mine who's a barber in um, Orange County, and He's this rockabilly barber. But that time I'm really like musically getting really into 50s music. And there's this rock and roll scene in L.A. that I'm really digging. And I love going to live music. That's one of the things I love about L.A. is live music. Two, three times a week, live music. So I go to my friend who's this barber who's cut who cuts my hair. And I said, he's the perfect guy. He's got like tattoos on his face and shit. 
And I'm thinking like, I know these fucking film school people never seen anything like this. So then I take 10 pictures sort of describing like visually the, you know, the poem. And then I submit it. <clears throat> the assignment apparently was, I have to describe a, a, a story that I'm going to pitch. I, I guess I read it wrong. And then 10 pictures of like creatively, how would it feel? It, it wasn't even specific, but they, they admitted me because I wrote like this poem that was visual and I included pictures that visually told the poem. And so, um, I guess I broke their app. So I, I, I applied and I didn't think anything of it, man. I thought I was going to like, whatever, man, I'm going to UCLA. I'm going to, I'm going to get my PhD in theater and I'm going to be a professor. That's what I, that's the life I thought I was going to do. But then I was, I was feeling bummed about it. Cause even though I'm a kid from South Sac, I, I want to be more active. I want to do things with my hands. We're not in that too, but be like, the, like the whole, academic. The, the whole idea of, kind of getting into what you got was to bring it something from your mind into the, into the reality and share it with people. That's the whole thing with art. Like that's, that's like me might talk about all the time. I love the whole idea of art because you're taking your own thing and you're, and you're sharing with everybody. You're finding the best way to, to bring it out, to share it with reality. And it like, I, I think if you were to ended up being a PhD, you would have lost that Avenue of, taking something of your own thought and abstracting into something that you can share with people. Yeah. So like after two and a half, three years of like get my master's and teaching classes at night, being a professor, I mean, legit professor, like I'm, you know, this is a legit, I mean, I've got like 300 students. I got like, uh, I'm teaching lab classes. So like acting classes that are physical and lecture teaching history classes i'm assigning homework i'm reading papers and i'm thinking like i'm from sacramento i'm from south sac like i didn't barely graduate high school like how am i a professor <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean like kids were calling me professor professor i mean it's just weird man i never got used to it i was like totally in the wrong thing and then so i just i i uh uh, I felt weird, but anyhow, I didn't think anything of it. I kept kind of moping around and then I got into the film school, got the packet. I was like, I was numb, bro. I was shocked because the, the percentage on earth of people that get into this program at that time was the most competitive program on the planet. The USC masters in production. And, uh, uh, it's only gotten more competitive since then, but um, it's competitive because people work when they leave. If you play it smart, you will get a job. You can get a job. If you want to be like me, they don't guarantee you a job, but you can meet people and you can do things and you can work. And I've never been without a job since like <clears throat> working that. So it's not like a guarantee or anything. It's it's like It's like a pedigree builder. whatever it may be, but it's still expensive as fuck. It's like, it's like 350,000 bucks. If you don't even make a film, it's about a half million dollars. If you make a film, that program, it's way out of touch. 
It's not realistic with human beings. Or even like art, but whatever. So I get in, and then I laugh at the price. It hits me. I mean, I saw it when I applied, but the motherfucker hit me like a Mack truck. This is what your bill would be. And I start laughing. I, You know, at this point, I'm like about to marry my, my wife, and I'm like, this is stupid. I'm just going to go over to this other place where it's free. UCLA is free. It's just they're going to pay for like a, a, an apartment for us, everything, right? So uh, <clears throat> I uh, didn't think much of it, so I just ignored it. I just left it in the back of my mind. But um, they had like this like meet and greet event, like about like three or four days before the deadline was to like commit if you were going to go or not. And there was, you know, Robert Zemeckis was going to be there. And like anyone that was like a new uh, admit was going to be able to meet Robert Zemeckis. So I thought that was dope. Who's, who, who's, so I was going to go on. to that. Who's Robert Zemeckis? He directed Forrest Gump. Okay. He directed Roger Rabbit, uh, Aviator. I mean, no, not, not the Aviator. That was uh, Scorsese. Sorry. He debated... Uh, Tons of movies, tons and tons of movies. He's a, he's a legend. So <clears throat> we were going to be able to meet him. So I'm like, cool, man. I'm going to meet Robert Zemeckis. Cool. Yay. So I still haven't quit acting. I still haven't, you know, but I, I, I'm just like, whatever. I'm not going to go to film school, but I'm going to go. So a few days before the event, I, I'm at the barbershop getting my haircut. You know, the barbershop. And... You know, I'm getting my haircut for the event. I don't want to cut it like the day before because I don't want to look like I just got my haircut. So I'm like a few days, you know, before. So uh, I get a call from USC. So I'm like, oh, this is weird. And it's it's USC Film School asking me how I'm doing. You know, did I get the admissions packet? Yeah, I got the admissions packet. We haven't heard back from you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, um, I... Uh, I'm waiting to make my decision until I can go see everybody in person at this event. And so they're like, oh, that's smart. That's smart. And so they're like, so what other offers do you have on the table? And so I'm like, okay, well, uh, so I said, well, I got a full ride at UCLA. But I didn't say it was for theater, right? So they think it's film. And then I start just fucking lying to them and saying, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I got this, uh, you know, I, I, I got a little bit of a cool, cool spot at NYU and then a uh, university of Texas, you know, that's a, they got a cool offer too. Fucking liar. I don't know. And it just spilled out of my mouth. So easy. Like a, like I was like some dope dealer or something. I don't know. The South Sack just came out of me in a good way. Car salesman came out of you is what Car happened. Car salesman, whatever the fuck. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so they straight up asked me, so if uh, we, if there was some assistance we could give you, would that perhaps change your opinion? And I was like, definitely, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's a recession. This is like Obama, 08, you know. Oh, in the middle like of the, the shit, shit show. The shit just fucked up, right? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, no, it's a recession. I'm trying to, I don't know. They're like, oh, no, totally. You know, so uh, so I didn't think nothing of it. Then I went to the meet and greet, right? 
I thought it was a great event. I met all of the people. They were all nice. I met the people that admitted me. I met the people I would go in this class with, some of them at least, the ones that could make it out. I thought it was real cool. But I was like, not going to go. I was like, nah, this is irresponsible. I'm about to get married, throw down like a half a million dollars on an art degree. I might as well throw half a million dollars on another movie. Maybe I would have a better chance this time. I don't know. So it just fucked me up. So I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Like, no, I'm going to keep acting. I'm going to keep doing this. And then I get a, I get an email from USC. Congratulations. No call, an email. I open it up. Congratulations. You just received the Annenberg Fellowship Award. Whoa. And I, I was take, like, it was, was it a full ride? Yes. Not just a full ride. It was every penny plus a monthly housing stipend plus a monthly living stipend. And because I was married, they gave me a spouse stipend. It was like way, it was like luxury overload. I had like run into the lottery bin. <laughs> And I think it's because I, I faked and baked it a little bit with the, with that phone call. Well, this guy has a lot of options. We need to fucking wrap him in. I didn't know that my application was a little innovative. They told me that after I came in, you know? Well, so what did they tell you about your application, when you, what you submitted to him, the, po- the, the poet? They said it was the most creative application that they had ever seen in their uh, admissions process. Oh, wow. Yeah, of this new admissions thing. Like, they had been doing the photo thing for, like, a decade or something. That doesn't mean I'm, like, directing Marvel movies now because I'm not. Oh, oh, oh. We'll see what happens to me. But anyhow, so so I get it. You know, so, like, that's how I get in. And that's how I get money. So I'm just like, okay. So I stop acting. I still have my agent, but then my agent retires. I had a really shitty, like, valley agent. Wasn't a high-end agent. Just a woman in, like, a little, like, cubicle she was renting in a phone. That's who she was. And she had, like, 50 clients. She was beautiful, great lady, awesome. But, yeah, she retired. So when she retired and I'm, like, full in on film school, I'm back. You know, uh, I like stop acting, but like now I really am more even intense. I'm into directing, not just producing. I'm into writing and directing. I'm like never really been writing films, like maybe a, a few shorts, but not like thinking about myself as the writer director. I know I can produce and whatnot. So, but when, anyhow, I'm just, now I'm there. I quit being a professor. I just went all in on film, man. I went all in and then, um, man, it, it was cool. But of course, like, I'm still like a side hustle dude, man. So like, even though they're paying me, uh, money stipends and all that, it's still like s- poor living. Like, I'm not saying like poor, but it's still like, I don't know. Like you still really couldn't go out to eat if you wanted to, when it, you still like had to rely on like, you still had a budget. So I, I got like a little side hustle, where, which was like the. Where was this? Because I remember we went down there and visited you guys. We ended up sleeping on that air mattress. Like, where was this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where, where was this along that arc? 
Oh, that's when I was at Columbia. Remember, I okay. would I would uh, FedEx you DVDs. Yeah, 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 yeah. DVDs. Yeah. So when I was an intern at uh, sorry, when I was an assistant at Columbia, I had a, a an unlimited American Express, and I could spend it at the sundry store or the the studio store. So I would get like handfuls of DVDs. I wouldn't even look at it. Just I saw it was a new. Put it in this box. Boop 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 boop. It was in the FedEx box. Just throw them in the FedEx box. And then put a label on it and then give it to the intern and then it would show up at your house the next morning. I would overnight it. It would be like $300, that box. Holy shit, dude. And I would charge it to like, like the, the, and that's the money that they waste there, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times I did that uh, to you guys, but I just thought it was cool. I would do that to a few friends here and there. You know, from South Sac, and you know, I just drop them a little something from Columbia Pictures. Yeah, because I remember <laughs> we went down there a couple temp- a couple different times, and we co- met up with you guys and stuff like that. And I, 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 I was I'm, now I'm curious now, telling you telling the story of where you were at certain points when we were down there. I don't know if you remember that time we went to the House of Blues. Do you remember that? Because me and okay, Rain, so me, that me and was, and, that's when I started film school. Okay, yeah, me and Raynad went down there to go. I think we were there on our honeymoon. Yeah, it was because it was right. It was right after the crash. Yeah, you got married before me, and then I got married after you guys. Yeah, and we were down there for our honeymoon. We went to Disneyland, and we met up with you guys at the House of Blues. That was when you were like stupid, fucking skinny. You turned into like a, a vegan or some shit. No, I wasn't a vegan. I was an actor. Okay, okay. You know, I was I, I was trying to act. You know, so you you work out, you act, you do the actor life. Yeah, you were in you like know? you were in shape and skinny and everything. I was in the. I was skinnier than I was in high school. Oh no I shit! I even lost. I even lost the physique. I was bulkier in high school, like bigger shoulders. I reduced it all so I could fit in frames, you know, so I can be in commercials, a Home Depot ad, or whatnot. Like, you actually you can't stick out too much, you know. Then you look out like John Cena or something, you know. He's not even that big, but he has bigger shoulders than literally everybody else because. You gotta be a little smaller. So anyhow, yeah, yeah, I was doing the actor life. Okay. Know, so, so that that's what was going on, and then, um, oh, I transitioned hard to director life. I, I went I went from like actor to Kubrick, you know, like old Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyhow, um, do I I I I I was all in on film school because I got the scholarship and whatnot, and then my buddy uh, buddy of mine who's a cameraman, like a news cameraman called me one day and he's like, dude, like he's and he's freelance. He called me. He's like, dude, my, uh, I busted my, my elbow, um, doing batting practice for my softball league. And I'm like, Oh dang. He's like, yeah, but the problem is I got to like carry my camera and gear for this gig I have at, at CBS studios. Uh, but, you know, do you mind coming with me? It's just so you can help me with my bag, you know, like, and I felt bad for him. I was like, hell yeah, I'll help you out. Plus I had never been to CBS studios. So, uh, on Fairfax. So then I go and it's, he's covering backstage at American Idol. Um, he's doing uh, news coverage, backstage news coverage for Fox news edge where they will, uh, where they will interview people as they get kicked off the top 10. So like, Number 10 gets kicked off. They come backstage, do an interview along with all the other celebrities and guests that were there that day. 
you know, promoting whatever. And so he had this cool gig, so he didn't want to lose it. And it was like making him good money. So I just went for him for free, carried his bag around. I met like his producer and whatnot who worked for Fox. And um, so I ended up tagging along. And then so so I, I just asked him, I was like, hey, you do this like every, you know, Wednesday and Thursday? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, can I just tag along? It like fit in my schedule. I had literally nothing to do during those times. So I like kind of made my own little internship and I showed up, kept showing up every weekend until everyone thought I worked there. So finally, uh, the dude that works for Fox News Edge, the producer, he's like, hey, you want to actually make money doing this? I was like, cool. So then he probably started paying me like freelance. And then uh, it was cool because he hated asking celebrities the questions. Or he hated asking the questions. He preferred to just write it and someone else asked the questions. So he paid me to ask his questions. So he'd write all these questions for like any celebrity that came to do like, you know, promote whatever backstage. And so my buddy Hugh would shoot, my buddy would shoot it. And then uh, I would just ask the questions. I'd be the on-site producer. And so I would do that Wednesdays and Thursdays, American Idol time. And I would do that. I did that all through film school and then I did it for American Idol. So you think you can dance and dancing with the stars. And it was really fun, man. I, it was cool. And I made 150 bucks a night doing that. It was cool. It paid for gas and back and food, got me that extra pocket money. I got to do like film school a little more comfortable. And then now I got to go to like, now I'm friends with Randy Jackson. I meet Randy Jackson and over weeks, you know, it's not immediate, like over weeks and weeks and weeks. And I think it was in the second season, like now we're friends. So like Randy Jackson's cool. Uh, Seacrest was always like busy. He literally, he's the busiest guy you've ever, you'll ever meet. He comes out backstage, has his cell phone assistance ready. just talks on the phone. Like I literally talked to him like three times in like four years, five years. So, but not in a diss way. He's a cool guy still. Anyhow. But anyhow, I like met all these celebrities and cool stuff. It was fun, you know, doing the Hollywood thing, you know. Uh, real cool one was uh, <clears throat> got to meet uh, Genuine backstage. Oh, shit. Told him about some uh, some of my early uh, Mac Daddy masquerades and Mac Road to, uh, <laughs> to, his, uh, to his performative arts. <laughs> and motherfucker took out his phone. And uh, took a selfie with me <laughs> because of that story, you know. Uh, and um, you know, we texted here and there ever since. You know, genuine. You know, he's a cool dude, man. Um, cool guy, man. Anyhow, so like, I got to meet people on a human level, like a lot of different celebrities. Um, I I'm proud to say, because uh, I was still that actor thin still, you know, I, I had maybe I had a little bit of dad chub on me still, like starting to develop, you know, that I'm in film school directing stuff and learning how to direct the real way. Um, and uh, so anyhow, I I ran into um, Lady Gaga. This is before she was like huge. She was about to premiere. uh this a song called disco stick on American idol. And she had this like scepter and she had one of her eyes, uh, uh, makeup shut in a zipper. And it looked like 
she was replicating uh, Alex Delarge, but she didn't have a codpiece. And Alex Delarge is uh, from the movie Clockwork Orange or the book Clockwork Orange. And it's the main character, like how that person looks. I don't know if you oh, yeah, know I, that film. I know yeah. that film. So she was going for that, but like in a neo sort of uh, daft punk sort of way. So anyhow, I caught on to it. So I saw her in like... Dude, I, I fear nobody now. It's, I've been here all these years, and I, I know I don't fear any celebrity. And I, I actually don't know who she is. She just looks like a person, you know, trying really hard. But anyhow, uh, I look at her, and I actually notice the, the subtleties. And I was like, oh, that's really dope, Alex DeLarge. And she was, like, shocked because I guess nobody understood it on her team that it was Alex DeLarge but, like, a futuristic version and so we ended up having a conversation after her performance, you know, ended up like talking for a real long time. She hit on me a lot hard, uh, but I was married, you know, and I was like, no, nah, I'm married, you know, it's cool. And then I find out later who she is. But then a, a buddy of mine has all sorts of other stories about seeing her at a bar, picking up some random dude, like random dude, and just like making out with him for like an hour straight. And the dude just is like, making out with her there's some random guy and so anyhow so a buddy of mine like you know he saw that told me about that story and i was like Whoop. thank god i didn't ruin my whole life on account of that kind of person it, it's funny you say that because <laughs> i just did a lead lead paint chips like a week ago that aired and it was uh it was uh one of Raina's friends who's into conspiracies and there's a conspiracy that she ag- absorbed the ident- identity of a girl that she did music with and the girl had jumped off a building and killed herself. And the theory, the theory is that Lady Gaga had killed her and then stole her music that they were working on together. Oh, that that sounds like the uh, adult sort of single white female version of uh, Coco. Oh yeah, no shit, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot the girl's name that she apparently stole the identity from, but it was pretty. There's a lot of uh, strings that that are attached to the story arc mm. that kind of supports it. And a- after the girl died, is when Lady Gaga's uh, uh, career blew up. I've only ever met her backstage at Idol, and then that my buddy has that story about her at the Golden Gopher. It's a L.A. bar in downtown L.A. Um. So I don't know anything about that person. I just know that she is, she feels insecure. At least the first time I met her, she seemed like a very insecure person and seemed very like needed a lot of attention, uh, but was really smart. And when I heard her sing, it was really her singing. So, well, so well you, you saying know. that kind of plays into the whole conspiracy thing. It gives it levity. Hmm. I gotta hear that show. That's fucking dope. Yeah, it's uh, Lead Paint Chips episode twenty. Your twenty, your yours, yours will be twenty one. Your first one came out uh, tonight, actually. Oh shit! Yeah, so if you go back, if you <laughs> if you go back, but if you go back to number twenty, it's her. And the the whole episode of, is her doing a dive about her. Okay. Yeah. All right. It was, I mean, it was pretty interesting. That'd be interesting. I mean, I. I you know, what's funny is a lot of these conspiracies about celebrities and whatnot. I actually hear from celebrities. What? But not, not in a funny way, but sort of in like, <laughs> what? A, 
do you think this person really is? Okay, hold it's on. It's like all gossip. Like, like you know? what? Like you gotta give me one then. Well, like okay, like I think I remember telling you long ago. The first time I ever heard anything about Hillary Clinton and Haiti was from Rosario Dawson, <laughs> who's a big Bernie bro. Yeah. Right. Oh, she's married to Cory Booker now. I think. Yeah, I yeah. think I think they're married. I know Corey. I know yeah. Corey. Yeah, Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> He's dopey, man. So, uh, <laughs> but anyhow, you said it. <laughs> He's dopey. He's dopey. He's just—I uh, don't know what to say about politicians, He's, man. They're car salesmen. They're just—they're just vacuous, man. Yes. Yes. I—I I, I, I wish people would stop attributing. Well, that's what gets me because attributing more, more or less to them than they deserve. Well, because it it sounds like you know Rosario Dawson pretty good. Mm-hmm. The, like, did he just pump her full of bullshit and she believes it or what? No, I mean, first is I mean, well, when I first got a okay, Rosario Dawson's interesting. So, her daughter has special needs. And um, her daughter has special needs. And I had worked uh, with with some kids with special needs through like ribboning throughout my time in L.A., like in and out trying to like go from a gig to here or whatnot. Uh, so LAUSD that does provide, you know, sub work for a lot of people. And so a lot of actors go in and out of sub work and stuff. And so I had done that in and out of the years. And so um, and so a friend of mine knew Rosario and had like, she had just adopted a girl and uh, you could look it up online. It's on gossip shit. And so that girl had like some special needs and needed like a tutor. And like, he remembered that I was like still really good at math or something, you know? And like, cause we were like friends and he was a, he was a studio teacher. So he taught kids on set that like, uh, so like if you hire a kid and it's like a school day, they need to go to school. So they'll go to school on set in like odd times and there'll be a teacher there giving them the homework and whatnot. And the teacher actually has to have a credential. And so anyhow, I, I knew him. And so like I, I got that contact through that. And so he was like, hey, I don't know. I'm not good with math. And what my friend is like, Rosario Dawson and she needs help. And I was like, Oh, so she's going to know me as like a tutor. And I was like, no, I'll introduce you as a filmmaker. But yeah, you can you help her tutor her daughter? And I was like, sure, I'd like to meet Rosario Dawson. So anyhow, so well into my career, I'd like picked up some side tutoring hours with Rosario Dawson's daughter, which has ballooned into like me knowing her whole family and whatnot. Very, 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 very nice family from New York. Very interesting and spirited family from New York with stories, tons of stories on their own, on their side. And which is cool because, like, you know, they know my son and whatnot. And, like, my son has no idea who Rosario Dawson is, you know, but it's just that girl, that, that woman that picks him up sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And, uh, I'm going to keep it that way. I want him ignorant of that because I don't want him thinking he's hot shit or knows anything or whatnot, you know, and I'm not hot shit. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a work a day producer. So I struggle 
I don't know what my gig is six months from now. That's not true, actually. I know I don't know what my gig is thirteen months from now. You know, so I'm constantly gigging out. You know, whether it's and I can tell you know producing commercials, ads, music videos, documentaries, you know, doing that stuff, behind the scenes stuff, whatever it may be. And so anyhow, so I, I, I do the film school thing. I'm in film school. It's fucking awesome. I'm doing the side gigs. And then uh, I get picked to produce the, uh, the, the, the sophomore movie, which is this, the big movie. It's not the sophomore movie. It's like the big movie. So I'm the producer. So I, 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 it's like an, it's just a distinguished honor. And so I produce a movie. It's like a, a military movie. We got tanks. We got. C-130, we got aircraft. We what, got, what movie is it? It's just a short film. It's like 23 minutes long called Battle Buddy. Okay. You can't find it anywhere. It's in the USC archives. You could if you went to USC. Uh, their films, are they play f- closed loop and then festivals for Directors Guild or Sundance and whatnot. And this, this thing went... Director's Guild, Writer's Guild, won a lot of awards. It was fun. So basically, it's, it's for like a niche part of the market. It's a it's a student part of the market under the okay. student film category, Student Academy Award. I was nominated for Student Academy Award, you know, stuff like that. But you got to be a student of like five schools to get it. It's not very, it's prestigious. It sounds way more prestigious. When I tell you, I was nominated for Student Academy Award. It sounds way, way better than like it is, but I guess you got to be in the school to begin with. So I don't know. So, uh, and then I get, you got to get your project selected by the school to, to do it. So uh, I produced the movie and then second semester I was in the running to direct the movie, which is like the creme de la creme, but I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't make it. I didn't make the final cut. It's cool, man. It's all good. So, uh, at the end of second year, I was mad that I didn't get it. So, I immediately start shooting a script that had been writing, that I'd been writing as a writing sample, which turned out to be this movie called Avenues. And so the summer after my second year of film school, I just start making the movie with money literally out of my pocket daily. I literally just bought like a little DSLR camera at Best Buy, which was a lot better than the cameras we were using in film school at the time, believe it or not. And uh, I just shot that thing like over that summer, like totally gorilla style with like a camera around my neck, like doing none of the things that I learned in film school, like doing it all wrong, but on purpose, like breaking all the rules, but on purpose, but like knowing, cause I only had, I had even a smaller crew than I had with fugitive hunter. I had myself, a sound guy, which was my brother-in-law, my wife, which was the producer. That was it. How how did you end up coming across the lead for that movie? Because that's the dude that we met and everything when you guys when you guys um, filmed it over here at the Crest. We went to acting school together. Okay. In undergrad, and he t- he he was one of the few that started breaking out and doing roles and stuff and getting actual work. Yeah, that uh, dude was cool as hell. It was him and. I went to school with him and the guy from Suits, Patrick. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they were in my direct classes. Oh, shit. Yeah, so not, I mean, there was 12 of us, so... Fucking two. Suits was one of my favorite shows, man. 
Really? Yeah. I don't know if it. I don't, is it still in the air? No, no, it's a uh, reruns. But yeah, that show is, that show is awesome. I guess I'm one degree away from Merkel or whatever. Fucking whatever the fuck her bread. She sucked. Is. I she wasn't a key part of that show. If she was a filler. I, w- I would imagine so. I've never seen that show, even though my boy Patrick was in it. I'm surprised uh, you haven't I, watched it. It's a hell of a good show, man. I didn't have cable at the time. So he when he immediately started working right away, and I was, like, still out, like, doing the, like, I was at Columbia Pictures, wasting my time there. Or not wasting my time, but, like, not acting. He went right to acting. like, And, like, he got an agent right away. He got a national commercial Right away, which led to him doing uh, a funny bit part on uh, Old School. And um, and then somebody saw him from a big agent on the movie Old School and signed him, and he went on Suits. Solid. That worked out for him. It was like, bing, 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 bing. It was like one of the first like careers I ever saw do that. Like, like right after school. I was like, whoa. It was wild, man. Uh, and that's happened a few times you know, with buddies I've had. You just see it as some careers. And I've had buddies that are just starting to break now in acting, you know, and like they're just shit. You know, 10 years later, more than 10, 20, 20 years later. Yeah. 20. Cause they had baby faces that are just starting to grow into them. You know, they're getting like dad roles now, but they stuck with it. 20 years, bro. That's a lot never of grinding. Know. Bro, the grind's real, man. People don't realize how much of a grind Hollywood culture is. It's not all glitz and glamour. Most of it is grime. Every once in a while, you get invited to a fucking dope party where you just, you don't understand at the night how your mind got so blitzed and, like, you were just, like, making out with some celebrity and you don't remember. That happens. What, what was That's the craziest? Real thing. So what was the craziest Hollywood party you ever been to? Because you, well, you were telling some ones when we were in the backyard hanging out. I don't know if you want to rehash oh, yeah. those. No, I was, uh, you know, thankfully, I've always been an observer of these kind of things. I had, like, two crazy years in Sacramento where if I wasn't studying, I was partying or working. That was it. Or in a play, like, hardcore, you know, that. And then when I met my girlfriend, like, I simmered down and got into, like, boyfriend girlfriend mode you know and i like never was a slimy guy so i never no matter how many advances i've had like had the the inkling to like cheat or do that i just felt like i don't know just come on man don't do that right so um we'll go to parties and see crazy shit or my friends will tell me about parties they go to so that's a little second <coughs> you go to parties see crazy shit and you'll be like holy shit Thank God I was sober for that or, you know, whatever. Or if you like get drunk, you get drunk together and like you protect each other or whatnot. But, um, but yeah, some crazy shit is just sometimes, man, I don't know. Like, I know you talk about conspiracy stuff, but like, you know, that like QAnon, the uh, raping, you know, kids and stuff like that or whatnot. You know, I remember we talked long ago and I told you, I don't think it's that. I think it's more like of a very liberal culture and in like there's a lot of homosexuality in Hollywood. And I'm not saying it's negative, but there is a lot of like exploring yourself, like 
sexually at younger ages, you know, in Hollywood, which I think is a little questioning, like kind of grooming. I think, you know, yeah, I think year it's, old, I think it's 18 almost 18 year olds. I think it's almost predatory grooming into a degree because at those ages, you're so naive about shit that you can be easily taken advantage of. I mean, I saw some younger kids come to parties, you know, and like go into pools. And one time, one kid, I swear he was probably 17 or something like got it, like took his shorts off or whatever. And that's when like we left. We were like, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Mel's. Fuck this place. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this par- this party went somewhere else. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, not judging. But I don't fucking care. You know what I mean? Like that. You know, it doesn't mean like they're all like that. Like, like one like that. We're like, I don't know what the kid was taking something else or whatnot. But, you know, it's just a lot of like, I, I will say a lot of it is like people desperately trying to hook up with other people. It's a strong L.A. well Hollywood thing, hookup culture. I'm sh- I'm sure it's strong everywhere too. Maybe it's strong in Sacktown. I don't know. I wasn't in my youth in Sacramento at that time. So, uh, yeah, I mean Hollywood is full of weirdos and a lot of people that are like repressed, like whatever hometown they were in, didn't quite accept them, you know, and so they moved to L.A. And they do find acceptance, and that's a cool thing, you know? But sometimes they try some weird shit. You know, I don't know. Well, that's the problem. I think when you go for acceptance, you're you're willing to step into areas where you don't want to go just to be accepted. And all, and then you make justifications for yourself in, that, in operating like that, too. I mean, I've legit known some actor guys that, like, have gone gay just to see if it was their thing or not. Whoa. And I just can't, I can't even believe that would be a question. You know, yeah. shouldn't you know in your heart, you know, either way, you know, it just seems like it's, I don't feel like testing the, I've never felt my life. Like I needed to test what, what a shaft feels like in <laughs> a, another dude shaft feels like in any way. Has that ever crossed your mind? <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, I mean, a lot of things cross our mind that may seem a little gay. Like, I don't know, like accidentally the finger goes up there when you got a wipey and you're trying to really wipe it. And you're like, oh, shit. It's cool. Okay. <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. That doesn't mean I'm gay. Doesn't mean I'm like, <laughs> I want to do all that. You know, no offense to that. And, and actually more respect to that. Being gay shouldn't have to be about tickling one's butthole. You know, it should have to be more important than that shouldn't it i don't know i don't if anything well, makes any sense right i'm curious how many guys in hollywood made that justification i gotta try this to make sure it's something i don't like i feel like that's such a bad excuse i mean it makes it feel so trivial like being something that hardcore lifestyle is just some like well they i just tasted it on our menu and it it did taste it okay <laughs> what it should mean more it should be more than that <laughs> anyhow but that's how vacuous sometimes people are or impressionable as you're i think you're impressionable about. yeah it's it's easy to convince that i i think that's probably more rampant than than uh than that people realize or maybe even more that you than you've seen too yeah not i haven't two two actor friends have told me that out of many, what was so, your response when they when you when they told you that? 
You know, it's wild, bro. Like, you don't want to, like, laugh. I would have. I, I would have gave him a hard time. Not because. That, not because. That's I, great. I, not because I think it's wrong, but I think it would have been funny just to give him a hard time. No, I just sort of go, you know, huh, that's really interesting. Oh, I would have fucked around and then, with him. And then, and, then, and, then, and, then I, and then I asked him, I was like, do, is, is this something we can laugh at or do we need to lock this shit up? Do we want to lock this shit up or do you want to? No, nah, man, it's okay. And then we can sort of like giggle a little bit. Like I, I didn't go hardcore like you, what you're talking about. I didn't do that. Oh, no, that you made uh, you, the follow-up question. Like you could have had your old lady just peg you in the ass and figure it out. There's all sorts of ways to, <laughs> to tell without going all in, right? <laughs> yes. This because you're at the poker table doesn't mean you got to max out the bet, dude. Oh, man. I mean, I mean, it was, yeah, I agree. All right. Well, you know, I want to circle back to your movie, though, The the Avenues. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so putting so, putting that together, your lead your lead actor that you came across as a guy that you had spent time with in school. Yeah, yeah, we spent time in undergrad and then just <laughs> kept kept up after that. Okay, you know, he had seen the progression of me. You know, working at Columbia, trying to figure out, do I want to do the studio route? No, trial and error, real life trial and error. Go to this job. No, uh, oh, he saw me go back to acting. You know, and that's you know. We would go to the gym and stuff together and whatnot and work out, you know. You know what I when found it, interesting when, when we were talking to him afterwards, after watching the the the, the showing, the viewing or whatnot? I don't know how you terminology that, make a terminology for screening? that. Yeah, the screening. screening. Was afterwards we were sitting to him and, and, uh, and he found out that I was a mechanic or whatnot. And he was fascinated about that. I was like, dude, it's just working on cars. And, like, he's like, yeah, but I just can't wrap my head around that. But, I don't know. I I couldn't tell if he was just bullshitting or he was being honest. No, he was. Yeah, he he had just bought a Bronco. Uh, I forgot what year it was, and he was trying to figure out how to get everything, you know, without. He was watching a ton of YouTube videos, so he didn't like loan out everything, you know, buy everything. Yeah. So he was really impressed with like the fact that you could just do all that without having to like rely on like YouTube video after YouTube video that. You understand the mechanics of how a car works. You know, you understand, you know, you're not just like a read the manual kind of guy. You know that the, you know it mechanically how it operates. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And to some certain extent, I would argue you could probably if you had access to fabrication materials and, and all uh, robots that made all that kind of shit, you could probably build your own car. I could fabricate a lot of shit. I'm a pretty good welder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so 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 yeah he did legit yeah and actors and and directors and myself like we we legit want to talk to people and hear things you know so so yeah so like i made avenues i made that uh and then all of third year film school this is when they make you do like um you know you may, you have to do your graduate thesis you have to like start interning places or at least working with places. And so uh, I started doing uh, working for this uh, guy named Scott Stone. He's a reality TV guy only because it was like a class I could fit in a certain time. And then uh, I started doing reality TV pitches and pilots and shit. He started paying me for this. And uh, um, I made some money doing that. Uh, I made about 40 of them. 
and it was like hard work. It was like interviewing people because he knew like I had done the Fox News stuff uh, backstage at Idol that I had these like interviewing skills. Plus, I was good at telling a story like narrative wise. So that's literally reality TV, creating a narrative around fictional around real people, like fictional narrative around real people in real time. And so I took this class on how to uh, do reality TV and ended up doing some reality TV stuff. It was cool uh, for him and doing some stuff for um, uh, Bam Margella. I always say his name Ooh. wrong. Like He fell off the uh, deep end hard. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, but that, that's like relationships he had. He had a lot of jackass relationships. He had a lot of... Uh, uh, you know, like that's the, that's who Scott Stone did. He also did, uh, I think it was called like, uh, I forgot, like something about following Manhattan socialites. Oh, I forgot. I forgot the name of the show. Anyhow, but uh, he did that. And then so I just like worked with him for like a year, did that uh, while I was in film school and after. And then um, I finished Avenues, submitted it. And got rejected by everybody, man. Every major really? tier. Yeah, Sundance, everybody. It was devastating to me, man. It was like I I thought you I thought it. it did pretty good. You guys seemed to do a lot of touring and stuff. No, it was great. Yeah, but like we had to do it like sort of in a a weird route. So the movie was not, in my opinion, Latin themed. It was just happened to have Latin people in it. I thought it. I thought it hit more to like, like kind of childhood I had grown up to a degree. Yeah, yeah. granted I'm white, but I, I to me the story hit. Like it was like, yeah, this is tangible as fuck. Like working once you, class, not, white. not that, but once you get around that environment, and you have homies that are stuck in that environment. You can't just walk away. You got to fucking move out the area. Yeah, so I wanted to tell a personal story about a uh, a a character that's normally. Uh, like two sentence description of what that person is, you know, Mexican gangbanger number four, you know, I wanted to like humanize that character and humanize that stereotype or whatever it was, just humanize it. So I, I wrote that story and I, well, first I wrote a short and directed a short in film school and it became like, I won a DGA award. I won a bunch of awards for it. So I was like, shit. So I'd like, Let's make it a feature. And then I did it on my own. And I, I mean, I faked it till I made it with every shot. And I massaged that film until it was like, it looked like a million dollar film, but I shot it around my neck. And so, uh, I don't know what it was. I submitted it to everything. And I got rejected from everything, but then I got a call from Sundance and then they, um, they said that they almost admitted it which actually made me feel worse. Like I, like I could have done something. <laughs> I could have been better anyhow. Uh, but anyhow, I ended up doing a lot of workshops through Sundance and like getting represented a little bit, you know, through Sundance and then um, doing script work through Sundance. And so Sundance actually has helped me like get like ahead, even though I've never been in any of their official programs, they still mentor other filmmakers. They, they keep you on like some pool here. And so I submitted it. I get rejected. I'm out of film school now. I have no job. I have 
nothing. <laughs> I have, I actually have debt. I took out a few student loans. Uh, not much. Um, uh, nothing like what people like, like few grand, you know? So I was able to pay it. So, um, so I don't have the debt or anything, but I have nothing and, and I have avenues, but I thought avenues would give me something calling cards, something, you know, this is how you operate in Hollywood. And then so any, anyhow, finally, I just like submit it to the San Diego Latino film festival. I met them at Sundance. Uh, Cause I got admitted. I got invited to Sundance, even though I didn't get in. So I got to party at Sundance and, Sundance with all my friends and it was really kind of sad because I like another one of my friends ended up his whole career broke out that same Sundance so I happened I saw it right before my eyes it was like another one of those like you know I saw like America's film go one direction and my film go this direction now avenues went down to like nothing and then my other buddy's film is like it won Sundance and then you know what was the film that won it? It was Fruitvale Station, which ended up becoming it was called Fruitvale. It ended up becoming Fruitvale Station, uh, and ended up becoming a major, major hit. That you know, my buddy ended up becoming a he huge director. He directed Black Panther. He directed uh, oh no shit. He directed you know the 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 Creed movies, the first Creed movie. Uh, he directed. Um, He's coming up with a lot of stuff coming up that's going to be amazing. You know, he's a, he's an amazing guy. We're friends. He's cool. You know, but <clears throat> I direct a lot of ads. He directs Marvel, you know. You know what I mean? So, but you know what? I could I could pop off 18 months from now. You have no idea. I have no idea. We don't know. You know what I mean? I have friends that were hot five years ago. Can't find work today. It happens. You got to ride the wave. It's 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 a grind, man. Hollywood is a literal grind, and it will take its toll on you, you know. And it's a cool place to be, and, and whatnot. It's just really hard, you know. You got to f- constantly be at it. So anyhow, I so so like his career takes off right in front of my eyes. My career doesn't, like right there at that Sundance. But then I meet this person at the San Diego Latino Film Festival. She's the director of it. She says, submit me your film. I said, all right, right, fuck it. Here you go. Submit it. And uh, she admits it. Cool. And then I win it. And because I win it, it it has like HBO implications. I get to meet with HBO execs. I get to pitch projects. The, 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 the project gets put uh, on HBO Espanol whatever, but it was still in, it's in English. Anyhow, you go. so I get to, I get to have that distinction. And because of that, other festivals now start inviting me. Oh, they're waiting and for it, somebody else to open the gate. I guess I, I, I didn't know how it worked. So, so because of that, and I got this HBO thing, another festival invites me. I go to New York, another festival invites me. I go to Colorado and then that's a main, no, sorry, sorry. That happens later. Then I go to Miami. And then I think this is a festival, but no, I'm one of four filmmakers being chosen to represent my artistic work to the Latino, Spanish language, American advertising market. And this this uh, conference is called 
uh, <clears throat> it's called uh, Latin Heat Conference in Miami. And um, I ended up presenting my movie to like Tide, uh, Walmart, all these execs. It's weird. And they're watching my like weird movie, you know, my art house. My, my, they're watching my master's thesis. But because of that, that's how I started my business. I started getting all these calls for like freelance. Hey, can you shoot this ad? This, this isn't quite going to go on, on like TV, but can you shoot this YouTube ad for target? Can you shoot this, you know, whatever ad for Walmart or can you shoot, you know, whatever it may be music video for this. I mean, these are things you won't see my credits. I don't have credits for the, like any of this, but I, I get paid, you know, I get paid a lot. You know what I mean? Like it's cool. So I ended up starting like a, a, a video communications advertising business, which is very similar to how Ridley Scott started his business was doing ads. And all he wanted to do was direct commercials and uh, films. So, he started doing corporate ads. He still does them to this day. No shit. Yeah, Ridley Scott, RSA Films, huge in they chase com chase commercials, Nintendo commercials, whatever it may be. They do a lot of corporate behind the scenes stuff you'll never see. That's their bread and butter. Without that, they wouldn't be able to do like an alien every once in a while. Yeah, because you need that capital rolling in still. If you, yeah. if you ain't cranking out movies consistently all the time, and I have a movies are lengthy process. I, imagine a commercial you can turn and burn pretty quick. Yeah, so you buy editing bay, right? And what it's gonna it's gonna cut eight films a year. What a waste of technology. Yeah. So in between, he he. I mean, he has them running twenty four seven. His machines are running twenty four seven. He's got editors on payroll twenty four seven. You know, like. If you go to RSA Films and see Ridley Scott and his place work, he's got directors there that are directing commercials. You know, like Joe Carnahan, who's from Sacramento, works for RSA Films in uh, you know in West Hollywood for Ridley Scott. He directs Chase commercials. He directs uh, Stoli Vodka. Uh, directs uh, all sorts of ads, and in the meantime, he directs uh, the A Team movie. You know, so he'll do like a hundred ads and then he'll get to do an 18 movie. Yeah. Or the, the gray. Just, you do the work, did, you do the work that you have presented for you. Yeah. You'll never know that about your directors. Like, uh, like Brian Singer. I mean, I know he's been canceled or whatnot, but like <laughs> before that, you know, like you think he just directs X-Men and then every three years he'll just pick it up again. Like, no, I mean, for years he did the Washington mutual commercials. In between, like Usual Suspects and all these other big films, he's doing usual. He's doing the the Washington Mutual commercials, where like some lady takes out her card out of her purse and like smiles and like hands it to the teller, and you know, you're constantly working. People don't realize that it's a a constant grind. It's just like any other industry, you know. You need it to suffice. The, the editing machines are expensive. You don't want to just cut eight films on it. You want it to work all the time. Yeah. You know, it's just like if you have a restaurant, you want that fryer. If it, if it melted that much oil, you want it to be on. You want it to be churning shit all the time. 
Yeah, you want it to be as productive as it can. You know, you're not just using it every once in a while, knocking the dust off. And even then, if you're not doing stuff all the time too, you get rusty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah. So anyhow, so I ended up getting uh uh in, into all these festivals from there, and then, uh, you know, I, I'm starting to solicit business, and then I'm going to screenings. And I'm being invited to like screenings at New York. Uh, I, my film is now on cable on on Fuse uh, Network. It was on cable on Fuse for a couple of years. Um, <clears throat> I want to. It was it was fun. And then it just you know I sell it to Redbox, make money. Um, you end up selling like uh, scripts, you know, that you you sell to other companies because they're like. They like your work, but you know, I mean, I might have been just selling, uh, doing my my ad business for a little long because, like, I need to make another film to get that sort of more creative mojo back in. You well, know, so I, we're I'm getting almost, back in it. Well, I'm almost curious too. It it sounds like you have more luck just doing it on your own and then trying to find a market where you can sell it at. Like yes, waiting, so waiting, waiting for somebody to step in and say yes is the hardest part. If you can just go out there and do it yourself. And then try to get the movie in circulation. You're, it sounds like you almost have a better opportunity as an independent operator. Yeah. So this this goes back to the future. You know where I'm going from here. You know. So I release avenues. Now I have my business. I have clients, uh, national clients. I'm very grateful, thankful for them. Um, you know, I, I I'm doing a doc. I, I've done a series of docs for uh, the Grammy Museum, which you could see at the Grammy Museum. Like if you ever go there in downtown LA. Um, uh, right now, I'm commissioned now to do a Chuck D documentary, a documentary with Chuck D. Um, I can't really say the specifics of the the plot yet, you know, or what we're doing yet because we're still shooting it, and I'm not like privileged to say it, but I'm producing that. Um. And that's through FX, a collaboration between FX and UCLA. I don't know why, you know, UCLA is going to be hosting a series of lectures for Chuck D and then we're, we're going to cover it. I can't tell you what the lectures are about, but like we could cover it. Actually, I could tell you what we were all in on. So anyhow, it's about, uh, um, like how like the police in LA, it's just like really kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like one of those, like, hot button topics right now by like how the police in LA like target specific communities with like specific policing tactics and oh, you know him. that's he, super true though. I'm not, yeah, a, I know, I'm, it's, I know yeah. it's super true. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make it anything like I'm, I'm not, I don't want to bum this conversation yeah. out cause I like this conversation, but anyhow, I'm not a fan of the police by any margin. My little, my little brother's law enforcement and I'm not a fan of the police. Oh, I, 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 mean, I, I completely fucking hate the police, yeah. but like, yeah, I am not a fan of those motherfuckers whatsoever. So no offense to your brother, but like it just, no, my, uh, little, my little brother's a good person, but he's put in a position where someone's paying him to do atrocious shit. I, I, it's petty. Like you're running over, giving people tickets, especially in this environment where everything's fucked up. It's just, it's a slap in the face of the average citizen. It's complete usury. I mean, it's just, it like, is. That's a hundred percent what it is. It's just, a, mo- a a criminal organization ha- taking money from you and hiring muscle to protect them from you. 
Yeah, it. I always laugh. That's it. I, but I always laugh at people like you need somebody to, you need law enforcement to check, to check against the unchecked people. I was like, yeah, but the same people you're putting in the office is no checks against them. So you, the the same no. people that they're supposed to be checking because they're supposed to be better are the same people that aren't being checked. So you stuck, you're stuck back in this position where you think, you think these people that are in positions of power are better than the other people, and they're not, not by any margin. They're still people. They still make fucking bad decisions, and when you give them power, they're going to exert it in the most horrible manner. Yep. 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 Abuse of power. That's it. You know, corruption. Humans lie. Humans suck. Yeah, humans you suck. Know, we got. We got. We got. Why can't people understand that? Well, that's so all. If I, you know, if you know, humans suck. Why give humans so much leeway? Well, not, not leeway is the difference, but why would you give them so much ability to exert force? Exactly. Why would you let them own weapons that you have no chance against? Yes. I mean, how could we ever have let this happen? <laughs> We're like, our government can nuke us, and like, probably no one would care. Uh, they couldn't nuke us, because the moment you nuke your, your, your own state, you now did the same, you, you've crippled yourself. You nuke a state or whatever, you're you're not just nuking people, you're also causing economic damage across the entire spectrum. And you're crashing you're cashing in your credit with society. Anytime a government does something bad, you're automatically cashing in whatever goodwill you might have with the people. And it goodwill is hard to get and easy to get rid of. So when you when you yeah. do it, you can do a hundred good things and one bad thing is what people will remember you by. Like you could be a good oh, well, yeah. Yeah, you could be a good husband your entire life. You do one, you do, you cheat on the old lady one time. It doesn't matter. That's what you'd be known as. There's no, it just takes oh, one yeah, bad act yeah. to, to lose all credibility. And so, like, it's it's a it's a weird position that you don't think they would realize that. You're absolutely correct. I mean, that's kind of like, I don't know. I wouldn't cheat on my wife or anything like that. That's not happening. But like let's say like this cancel culture thing with Hollywood, you know, I think it's really tragic and sad. You know, I, I have friends that have lost everything, you know, like I have a good friend, Brian Callen. I don't know if you know that. Comedian. Oh yeah. He's lost everything, everything. No shit. Be he's, he's like, I know he's still doing the fighter and the kid with uh Brandon Schwab. Yeah. But like, I mean, dude, like he lost every gig, every endorsement, his agent, he has like a like hard time getting anything. Like the LA Times branded branded him a, a straight up rapist. Who without a okay. ju or jury? Hey, hold or nothing. on. Who reads the LA Times? In LA, everyone reads the LA Times. So now people in LA where he lives Who don't care. Didn't move. Like you're, you're. No, no. He's starting to figure that out. He lives in a but market. He lives in a market where LA doesn't dictate what the market gets to consume anymore. That, that's, you are you are correct, and I see it faster than he would see it because I'm still not even fully accepted by Hollywood. I'm still independent. Everything I do, you know, hustling gigs, hustling a doc, hustling ads. You know what I mean? But that's where you want to be because, like, even just talking about it right now, I mean, you got to realize that most of the things that you happened to do that turned out beneficial for you was stuff you did on your own independently, and then you just found the market for it afterwards. So oh, if you, yeah, it was if, all extracurricular. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It, like, like this us doing the podcast is us seeking out what we like and then letting the market determine what if they like it. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. If they do like it, they do like it. 
I, I, outside of that, I really don't give a shit whoever thinks about what the, what it is. It's irrelevant to me. I'd rather take the well, chance yep. of trying to figure out if somebody likes it than to try to figure out what people like and then try to curtail something that to match what they think. Because at that point, you're not doing you're not doing what you think you like, and chasing that, you're chasing what other people like, and you're not going to be able to do it that way because there's too many different opinions. So you're chasing this weird, unattainable thing to fit all these other people's ideas instead of just chasing the thing that you think it's interesting. I agree with you. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm coming to that conclusion. You know, I can't, I, I, I I'm not going to lie. Starstruck, not starstruck, but like Hollywood struck. I liked in the nineties growing up, that idea of what Hollywood was, you come pitch agents, managers, blah, blah, blah. It's a very centralized system. But it's been decentralized, you know, and I can cry about it. Oh, it's decentralized. What are we going to do? That doesn't exist anymore. Or I could like, you know, get with the times and make things myself, you know. Uh, It's changed while I've been here. Well, if you think about it like this. Just forgive people that have been in here, especially like Brian Callen, right? Yeah. I mean, he was on Goldberg's. I mean, hit number one TV show, man. Big, big show. He goes from that to getting all the gigs to no gigs and he worked from nothing like yeah but he's comedy a, club up but he's you know a, so it it's hard for him so he's adjusting now but but, but it's he, taking him time but he thing, got divorced i know but the thing lost his kids everything because of this but thing, he, he's you know? in a position now where he could he could the the cost now to produce anything is super super cheap so if he wanted to he can buy the equipment and 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 learn how to produce and get people and rally people that know the market that he still that he still is friends with, and produce his own TV show, wherever the fuck you wanted to, and just put it on YouTube. You're gonna find. Oh yeah, I have friends working on a, a, a what's his Russell Brand show. Yeah, that's an awesome yeah. show. It's just cra- I'm just like, okay, you work on that. Go go for it. Go for it. I mean, they're like happy. They're producing. It's almost no money. I think it's all out of Brand's pocket or whatever. But. You know they feel like they're doing something cool. So and they're, they're and they got percentage in his like yeah. But if you endeavor, think, which but, for in the long run I think they're gonna make more money. And but, be but not even that. But like you're gonna die at the end of your life. So do you want to do you want to tote the fucking corporate line and do what they want you to do, or do you want to do the things that, that you're interested in and have fun doing while you're alive? No, I agree with you. Yeah, like uh, I, I would love to make a big movie like. Like I, I, I just admit, I love the idea of filling up a gigantic theater. Why? Why are you so attached in. to that, I just buddy? love. I don't know why. I don't know why. I love. But YouTube offers it. Big. I know, I but love it. YouTube offers that. You're you're so stuck on a centralized location. I think it's too rooted in your childhood that you're missing the fact that that's available and people will consume it just like that. But they'll be doing it at their own homes. No, I, I agree. I see it. I see it, man. I mean, I, I know people that worked on the... Uh, if, if, you were to produ- if you were to produce a movie and put it out and make a YouTube channel and you told everybody, if you like the movie, just donate me $20, you'd be fucking shocked how many people would donate $20. If I watch a thing on YouTube that's for free and somebody posts that on the video, like, hey, I made this out of my own pocket. It costed me money. If you can help me fucking, you know, kick me some cash, like some money, like donate me money for this. It will help me pursue other endeavors. I usually almost always donate. I'll go, I'll go on there and, and send them money directly. They either be their website, Patreon, or wherever it is. 
I will send money and support causes like that. And the average person nowadays does that too. You know, I, I, I've been thinking about it. I mean, I, I used to feel like that was a form of like digital busking. But after the first conversation we had, and then I was thinking about my, you know, existence. And then the second conversation we had, and then thinking about the conversation we were going to have today, I don't really see a big difference between me getting on the TV like you were bringing up and saying, you know, you know, we're really still looking for financing. You know, if anyone's out there, I said that. Yeah. You know, it, off script or whatever. What's the difference between that and being like, subscribe to my whatever? Yeah, help support an independent person make content that's not controlled by a corporation. You're getting an artist piece of content. You're not getting a bunch of fucking shareholders saying that's, you know, that's a little too spicy there. You might not want to talk about that, Bob. It's like, fuck off. This is what I find interesting. <laughs> <coughs> I'm all no, about that. No, I agree that. with you. I agree with you. And even then, I don't write stuff that, quote unquote spicy i like to create slice of life tales some cool I, stuff but everything I mean, but everything nowadays that you see on online is considered spicy by any type of main like corporate media corporate media is so scared to death to do anything that's even remotely controversial oh yeah so so i sold a tv show to warner brothers and it got put into turnaround which means i would have to purchase it back for the amount <coughs> to get it back, which is not going to happen. Or I would have to pitch it to another company, which would have to agree to pay this can, company. To can you talk about the concept? Yeah. You know, it, it was about uh, a group of rockabilly musicians traveling from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Las Vegas to crash a rock and roll show. Uh, to try to impress uh, a record label, a small town record, a small time record label, to record their rockabilly music. Yeah, what era is it set in? What t like time in L.A. It, it, it now, oh, current you, rock and roll it, with tech with so, modern technology. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the current rockabilly scene as it is. So. Uh, the See, current the, rockabilly scene, but that 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 would be a good story arc to do that, and then have them realize that like, why am I chasing the corporate structure when I can just be an independent? Well, they do that, yeah. So what they did was that they submit like, t and it, what's funny is that what I like about the show is that it's not like someone going to Capitol Records. You know, this isn't a corporate thing. This is a, like a off label. This is like if somebody wanted to be a hip hop artist and they're trying to go to like Stone's Throw Records in L.A. Like people want to go to Capitol or whatever, you know, be a big time. These guys are like small town like musicians that want to go to like the quote unquote big time of rockabilly in America, which isn't even anything. It's just like all the love. So I wanted to do like a deep dive into a subculture that's like nobody really knows about, but it's active. You know, people care about this stuff, but like tell it with the music. So anyhow, I pitched it. They liked it. They loved the like music lineup. I had like bands go to Warner and like play music and, you know, do that kind of thing. So I ended up selling it 10 scripts, 10 episodes, uh, 24 minute episodes. So it's kind of a weird format. 
it, uh, it almost it seemed like online it, only. It seemed like it almost worked better as a movie. Well, it was originally a movie, so it was okay. supposed to be like a mini series. Okay, that makes like more a, sense. Like a, yeah, so it was like an online mini series of like twenty four minute, 10, 24 minute episodes, and it was for Warner, uh, a, a project Warner had for their online division. And so anyhow, wrote it, sold it, and then they uh, didn't pick it up. You know, so they ended up buying. You know, and they they overbuy, and then things come and go. And so anyhow, I was happy to do it. It was cool cool you know uh well i'm, I'm kind of curious thing. what you had in mind for the characters are they are they pretty wild or are they pretty just like straight to the music both they want to live the whole lifestyle yeah i think like you could do a lot with that actually yeah so i i love this scene as it is i i i participate in this scene you know i i live in this scene and so this is one of the few scenes it's one of the few it's really what kept me in LA for a long time is like having this disparate collection of friends from all industries, all wealth manner from like, if you want to call stereotypical blue collar to white collar, whatever you want to say, liking this kind of music and going to like CD bars and clubs to listen to like these underground bands that no one will ever hear about or love or know but loving them in our own little niche subculture. You know, we have our own like celebrities. You know what I mean? Like I'll list off some like right now, like we got like uh, Jimmy Inville and we got like uh, uh, the the Stray Cats from the 80s. And of course you could have uh, Marlene and the Rhythm Shakers. And I could say all these names and they mean nothing to everybody, but like I'll, they mean a lot to a lot of people. So I always feel like in this decentralized world, you want to hit like a real specific subculture or specific yes. event. Yes. And you want to hit that ring so hard that it vibrates and then it, it hits another culture or another group. And then people are curious, like what's making that sound over there? Oh, there was a bullseye. What's this bullseye? Why is all these people? So I have this idea to shoot a film. Okay. Um, I'm shooting this film. We're shooting it for $50,000. I have five guys putting in 10, including myself. And we're shooting it for $50,000 with eight crew members over 15 days. And we're going to be doing this hopefully at the end of this year. You're just trying to get the right cast together. And um, we're shooting it. And it's about uh, one night in a L.A. rockabilly club that's going to shut down after this night uh, because one of the owners passed away in a motorcycle accident and um, the other uh, owner doesn't want to doesn't want to keep it up. He's you depressed. Should, you should almost make it like a COVID fuck thing. Like the, the club, uh, the club. I know, but don't politicize it, but just make it like the club's not going to make it at the other side after COVID. Because they're doing too much financial damage, so it's like you're you're throwing a basher before fucking before the the club closes financially. Well, I mean, we could do that. It's just more like the owner's selling it because he does. He's depressed. He's selling it to a, a consort like a corporation that's going to turn it into an Urban Outfitters, some so horseshit place. Yeah, they're gonna no the literal Urban Outfitters. They're gonna keep the cool stage and all that shit oh. and put like fucking uh, t-shirts on it. 
and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're gonna do that. But you could gay. You could do the COVID thing and not make it political. Just keep it a neutral position. That like, hey, like that's a neutral position. COVID, it it ran havoc on a ton of different comp like companies, like tons of small places and venues closed. Oh. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. like, t- t- yeah, a lot of my friends that own venues, they, they lost a lot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's a couple down here in, in downtown Sac that are permanently gone. Holy Diver's gone. Um, I, uh, all my friends lost that had boardwalk clubs, and a bunch of other places. All my friends that had clubs survived because we all just kept partying. Yeah. <laughs> we did not stop. But I mean, but if you made the it front, from- the front door closed, the back door yeah. Now you had to have a password. Speak easy. It instant. That's what I'm saying. It, instant. You could use the COVID as an as a good angle for that. I mean, there's a way to I do it. I thought about it. It's just I don't know, man. I, hate I don't COVID think so do I, but fucking passion. So do I, I don't but, want to work. You know what but, you but imagine the, hold on. editing dialogue. But the thing I is have to edit like COVID, COVID, COVID. Let me get like the right tenor of like bass. But think about it. But dialogue but, editing, and but, then it has to say COVID over and over and but over. You're, again. But you're missing know. the point. What drove you out of LA? Well, I I still have ties in LA. I know, but what I still have what what drove you out of, and stuff like that? What drove you out of LA? Oh, I hated how COVID changed everything. Okay, man. yeah. So that actually hits closer to your personal thing that you've seen firsthand that actually drove you out of LA sort of but like none of my friends that do rockabilly clubs none of them actually have closed that would be a myth now some of the like corporate places like troubadour almost closed i think uh golden voice bought a percentage of like a couple other venues like the fonda i think now a corporation owns that rather than it being private, you know? So, like, I think, like, stuff like that happened. But, like, that really wouldn't be the truth with my clubs. Like, literally, we kept partying. Like, it just turned into a speakeasy. Like, if anything, I should make a movie about that. And it turned into a speakeasy. And, like, it was just like, fuck that. But, like, that that seems like it would be political. I don't know. That That would almost come off political. But it wasn't. It just these motherfuckers. You're gonna tell these guys to stop partying. I know, but but that that would get political. But if you if you orientated the story around that, the whole rockabilly club, it just they 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 managed to kind of stay open, but financially it just ran them in the ground. They had to like, hey, we're fucking doing a bachelor to go out with the bang. Yeah, and, and, I mean, it would be th- so the clubs would open, and they'd be like speakeasy status, and then. You know, pay at the bar and then a bar. And then because they know they're not letting it, they're letting in 50% of the occupancy. One, so the parking lot doesn't look too full. Two, so like, you know, it's not too loud. You know what I'm saying? Like, still not trying to get caught. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so then there's like a donation bucket and people put in extra money and stuff. You know, they know the club is hurting, you know. You could do a lot with a story like that. I mean, that happens. That happened. You know, uh, well, because so you the can, club started selling food. You could because you could, you could so turn it, it also. Well, because you can turn it into a fuck the police type of deal where they just like, no, we're throwing a rager. We don't give a fuck. We're not closing. We're 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 closing anyways. We're not going to close down for the night. And you just have them run it fucking hard. Well, we would like like one of my friends has a club, and then they they'd like park everyone way in the back and then close the gate and then turn off the like floodlight for the like parking lot. <laughs> so you couldn't really see and like they turned the decibels down just a little bit did it get so that it wild out loud? there 
Yeah, bro, they was bad. Yeah, they were like going like, I hate the police, man. They're going door to door some places, turn off people's water, turn off people's power, uh, putting a, a helicopter over the house with the like in the See, spotlight. We didn't get any of that shit out here, man. You, that was like to you, you in the Bay Area, man. You guys out there in the Bay Area got fucking hammed. Like Northern California, we just fucking ran it. You know, I'll be back. I'll be back. I I, I don't mind. I mean, I, I I go back every week. I'm there. You know what I mean? So um, I'm constantly working. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I either have to fly there or drive there. But, like, the, the mood changed so much in L.A. for comedians, for the work-a-day dude. I mean, I lost a ton of gigs. I mean, I lost money. I lost tons. But I gained a lot. Literally just home with my son, so it's cool. Yeah, but it's all it's trade-offs. all ramped up. It's all ramped up again, you know. Uh, so all that lounge time I've had to think and read and shit and get fatter when I should have been skinnier. It's like, oh, that time's up now. I gotta go back to everyone's going back. Everyone's ramping up, and I'm happy about it. God damn, it was boring. So like booking this Chuck D thing it was just like, cool man, that's gonna be cool. That's gonna be a good resume thing. It's probably gonna be Netflix. Amazon, all that shit, you know, so happy about it. And, uh, yeah. And so like, and thinking about the future, you know, I've thought about, I've thought about this, man. I'm thinking about, okay. So anyhow, so here's the rock and roll movie before I tell you about my, my app idea. So, so I'm, so I want to shoot this movie, shooting a movie, stuff it in the can. And this is what I want to do with it. This is a hybrid approach. This is a modern day, um, this is a modern day uh, Roger Corman, if you know who that filmmaker is. I do. Is. I'm a Okay, so Roger Corman was notorious for four-walling, which is like putting his own film up. So my film, this film has a performative aspect. There's bands all over the film. It's music all over the film. It's a cool, it's cool subculture, all that stuff. So I want to take this film and I want to road trip it on a Saturday night series. And I want to kinetically advertise it for a period of time, maybe six months. So the only way you can watch it is you got to go to a venue and I know a lot of venues all over the country because I have friends that like produce music. So they know venues. So by proxy and they're, you know, producing this film with me. And so we take it to, let's say, uh, Sacramento. What's a good place in drive-in. Sacramento that. Okay. So let's take it to the drive-in. Can you go directly to the drive-in and ask? Them? Yes. Oh, that's yes. awesome. Yeah, I would, yes. I would hella go there. I'd pull up one my, night, I'd, I'd, one I'd, night. I would pull up with my pickup with fried chicken and some beer and just sit in the tailgate with the old lady and the kids and watch it. I don't it. know what the I don't know what the uh the the criteria is for the uh but we're talking about like midnight shows or like late night shows. Saturday night. Kind of like uh those well, you know Well the thing is the thing is if you go during the during the middle of the summer when everybody's out of school like you could fucking get it running for a week straight probably and just do like a midnight airing. No, 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 but this is this is the concept. I'm not done yet. Okay. Play the film. And there will be a live performance immediately after the credits finish. 
I'm talking like if I have a curtain up, let's say I have a curtain up in front of like a stage. It's like Crest Theater or, or something like that. Whatever it may be. And let's say I have to jerry-rig it, like put up a curtain in front of a stage that's normally like a, a stage, like a crest, right? Let's say I put that up. The minute the movie's d- done, like the curtain comes down and a band starts up and then music starts immediately. It, the same music you saw on the movie now happens right away before your eyes. And this is the only way you can watch the movie for about six months. And then you do a massive social media campaign while you're doing these weekly sold out parties. And people, I feel like are, I mean, they, people want to do this. People want to go out. People want to do everything, man. And so you have this sold out kinetic party that's live because I feel like live music is important. (coughs) You have this movie, so it shows and then immediately go right to it. And then we book the whole venue. It's like we we get the bar and whatnot. We can make in six months. We can make all the money back and then some from what we made from the movie, easy just on the selling tickets and and beer, alcohol, percentage of the door, whatever we can work out. Have you have you even tried touching at venues to see if they would be interested at all? Yes, massive massive interest. They were like, if you could bring the live music to come immediately after, boom, yes, absolutely. I I think I think just that movie would do good at a drive-in. If you if you were yeah, to, if you were I think driving's launch, great. Yeah, like and then immediately a show starts right afterward. Why not? Yeah, I I I don't know about the live band at the drive-in. It'd be hard audio-wise setting that up and stuff. You could probably pull it off, but just that movie, the framing of that movie, kind of like the whole feel, but would kill at a drive-in. I think. Yeah, so our goal is to four wall it. Yeah, I I, I think I think that idea would work awesome at the Crest because it's a it's a nice venue to do it at, with good sound stage and everything like that. Yeah, and a, and a place for people to dance immediately after or whatnot, in the in the front, you know. So that's my goal is to like four wall it, but like Crest is a little big, you know. That's like a thousand seat or something like that, or eight hundred seat. Like I'm talking, I want it like pictures. Of like a packed place, so I don't even care if it's a real movie theater. Yeah, Crest sells like, beer though. Oh, I get you, but like I don't even care <laughs> if it's a real movie theater. I rather sell, uh, uh, show it at a bar. See, yeah, you, you see, know, you know, you know, would have been awesome to have that at is the boardwalk. The boardwalk would have been perfect for that because they're set up for dancing in the in the open area stage, but the boardwalk's closed now. It's it's gone. Really, yeah. all the, all those screening uh, theaters are gone. No, the boardwalk is the boardwalk over here in Citrus Heights. It, the it was, cinemas, boardwalk cinemas. No, no, the boardwalk was a bar that was a that was a soundstage in it too, where live bands oh. can go. And that that's what I'm saying. That would have been a perfect venue because I think you could have set up a decent sized screen in there, like you could have set up a um, a 200 inch screen at that venue. It's a little bit smaller, but it has a giant open area, and you could have transitioned right after the movie into a live band, and it would have worked perfect. Yeah, but I'm also, I mean, I'm not just thinking about, like, in the U.S. I mean, I would take this Saturday night to, like, Japan. Take this Saturday night to Brazil. Take this Saturday night to Germany. And get that buzz, too. And do it so that you just can't ignore it any further. And this is before, you know, we do anything, quote-unquote, you know, trying to, quote-unquote, release it. 
And then I'm thinking about releasing it on like a personal app that I'm cr- thinking about creating. I'm thinking about creating like my own like uh, online streaming subscription service. Specifically offering uh, content that would appeal to people like us from South Sacramento. Have you, have you tried testing that idea with like a, a market at all? No. Uh, I know what technology I could use to do it. I'm thinking about buying a page and putting like a landing site and maybe like doing some social media stuff and seeing if people would join like an email list and uh, seeing if I can get a lot of interest in like a concept for like a streaming platform uh, and then launching some sort of streaming platform aimed at like urban non woke sort of I wouldn't sell it as woke I'd sell it as independent uh, yeah just like but just like I want to I want to show like like I want to have like a, a stand up comedy lineup of classic comedians that you may not have heard like I want to show all the like Paul Rodriguez comedy like I was thinking of even about making it like culturally specific I was thinking about making the network called Real Latino and so R E E L Latino. Yeah, like a real. And, mm-hmm. and then doing that for other cultures too, because I feel like we're going to get that much more separated. So, like, real Afghan, you know? So, real Afghani, doc, you know, and then do maybe uh, uh, real Filipino or real Tagalog or real whatever maybe or I was real say, lotion I was gonna say a fucking super inappropriate joke that probably would have pissed you <laughs> off I'll give it to myself but you know what I'm saying like you could do like real whatever subculture or real whatever you can even do like real soul if you like soul music or soul movies or soul culture I'm a huge soul culture guy uh, usually, on, yeah. usually on Sundays I listen to old school uh Soul music and and uh, blues R and B. I I I'm surprised you haven't tried to do like a test run like on a YouTube channel and see what how that plays. There's a lot of the, the, how, how so how so the, the, how, how would you test it? Just make a channel and come up with an idea or whatever and start working material for it and see what the traction looks like. Because it, it's a good way to get it's a good way to kind of get feedback at low cost. Is a big thing. So, like, maybe make some ads, like what it would offer, and and see if people are interested, like like it, and just see what the traction looks something. like on the channel. Yeah, you gotta remember, oh, okay, YouTube, like, like, like sort of con- proof of concept ads, yes. put them out there as real ads, and yes. see what you get. Yeah, because you gotta YouTube oh. provides one of the most valuable pieces of information, market feedback in real time, and it, and it's a low cost market feedback. The only cost is your producing content. So then you you would basically make the content and then you'd put it out there and you, and you and then try to spam at then try to advertise it as 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 cheaply as you can to get traction on the page and then see what the viral output from it is see if it gains traction. Uh, you, so this is this is what I want to do. I want to have a, a an online streaming platform at two ninety nine a month that offers you unlimited access to. It's going to have like, I want like, I want to put real Latino. I want to put George Lopez show. I want to reach out to ABC, figure out what the licensing is with that. But the George Lopez show. I I don't know if you're kind of stuff. Hold on. Let let me say something real quick. I I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're aware of this. 
your YouTube channel you can make private on certain videos. And then what you can do is you can you can link a Patreon account and when you when you go into the Patreon account, it gives you access to all the private videos you put on your channel. So if you made a channel, you could have you'd have your regular videos and then if you go through the Patreon and you have a subscription, it gives you access to all the private content that's on the channel too. So there's ways of I'm just I'm looking huh. at ways of huh. offloading your cost and and centralizing how it works because you can keep all the all the actual um, shows in your possession off network, but then but then you have everything on YouTube, so you're not paying for a server, you're not paying for all the other stuff like that huh. too, but you then you're generating you can your test it. yeah and and then you're generating your monthly subscription to the Patreon and anybody who has Patreon has access to your private videos on YouTube. Huh. It's a way to set it up, even you, if it's somebody else's videos. Yeah, you, it, it it as long as you get a, a authorization from that person, then you then you put it on there. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, I mean, I don't know how that deal would work with. Uh, anyhow, I, I I have my attorney can you know he's he's going out there trying to find out. Well, just keep in mind, are. YouTube offers you a lot of good data because you get on you get instant analytical feedback and it tells you a lot about your consumer. YouTube, the analytics tells you if it's male or female, what their age group is. It gives you all this market information about who's consuming your content. So no, you, I hundred percent. I think what I want to do is uh, do the do your idea of actually putting some proof of concept ads about what the service offers. Put it up on YouTube. If interested, go to this landing page. Yeah, and see what happens. And then put your e- put your email, and then you join the wait list or whatever, and then keep posting ads on YouTube and see through that data that you're talking about, who's looking at this, where, what location, where are they at, you know? Yeah. Where's it hitting? That's actually really good data. I had never thought about doing yeah, it. When I, yeah, I, I'll usually jump on YouTube once a month and go through our analytics, and I'll kind of see who's consuming our content, get an idea where our demographic is, and I can kind of see it. It gets even better with the podcast. The podcast gives me worldwide information about who's consuming how much in which country and how many hours. So you have a you ton. Of, funny? You have a ton of metadata. What's funny is, uh, you know, doing that reality show uh, stint with uh, Scott Stone. Uh, I ended up meeting this guy that I did this whole uh, fucking pitch on his own reality show. He was this weird Edwardian barber. He was a teddy boy, and. Um, weirdo face tattoos just a weird creepy sort of cool weird guy but uh he ended up expatriating out of uh the u.s to moscow wow four years ago and bro that dude is talking so much shit on social media right now it's fucking hilarious about russia or the ukraine all all the whole situation the whole situation, I think it's fucking hilarious. And I, I think it's funny because, um, you know, I'm, I'm bringing it up because uh, this rock and roll stuff and whatnot. And you're talking about, like, who knows what and spheres influence. But I know, you know, some people in China and I know a few people in China, too. And, like, seeing what the world is and seeing, that like, where your podcast is, like, y- you understand quickly that, like, the world is an open is market. It's not. Yes. Yeah, that's why it's what, not what you think yes, the that, world is. And that's why I was yes. getting that's why I was getting at you. It was like you're you don't have to have a giant market. A niche market serves you just fine at generating revenue 
for the content that you're producing. Yeah. So when I pitched the, this idea to these guys, I pitched the idea that it would be a uh, self-sustaining film before it became a film. So those six months on those, on the weekly road, we could also use those as a test as well. Like that doesn't have to be that the, at, at like that's the final picture we're showing them, even though it could cost more money to do more sound mixing adjustments or whatnot. But like we could test after six months of like road tripping a movie, like four walling it on our own. Like, you know, we're still eligible for Sundance and all these like corporate shit. You know, we're still eligible for all that. But like, in reality, it's like testing it on your audience. Yes. We can see what jokes land, what don't. Yes. I noticed like by the end of my festival circuit with Avenues, I hated my fucking movie because all I saw were the flaws where it didn't work. And it was routine in every screening, in every city. The same marks that were great hit. The same marks that didn't, you could tell that they, they didn't. And if I could have tested my film out in real time somehow or some way before I kind of like officially locked it. So anyhow, so I pitched that to them that like we take it on the road weekly and then I showed them the models of how it would pay for itself. And so after six months of road tripping the movie, there would be a profit. And then before we even go into like distributing it to Amazon or even our own app or whatever we decide we already know we're in the black. So that's how I pitched the film. And so that's, uh, you know, probably going to be starting after this year, the next like two years of my life. It's going to be really, really a lot of work you uh, know, on top of doing ads and shit. I'm just looking you know? at, at a way to reduce your cost to get market feedback is setting up the, the whole idea of doing a Patreon and then setting content private and that you can access through the Patreon will give you will give you revenue coming in and it will actually give you market information for people consuming the content. You know, we could probably do that too. Like on top of the Saturday, do like while while you're there, like I don't know, somehow spread maybe through social media. Like if you do want to see this film, join Patreon. But you're also gonna have to leave us feedback or something. You know what I mean? They will. Pe people are pretty good when they're when they're consuming content about leaving feedback. So like maybe during those six months of road, we could still do a digital version of that too. That's actually smart, you know. So people that are on like uh, social media that are like dying to see the film because they see all this fun, all these pictures. What you people could... love like packing it out, you know, like they can't wait for the, our us to come to their city. Well. You don't have to wait. So maybe after like two months of that or three months, we can open up the online version. See, and, and there's, people and there's a lot it. of, in a lot of ways you can do it too. You, you could set up QR codes like on the poster on like QR codes are cheap. They don't cost anything. And when you, when you print a poster for the venue or whatever, or even at the venue, there's posters all over. Just put the QR code. And if they scan it with their phone, it sends them immediately to the Patreon that you guys have where they could donate immediately. It, it just make everything digital across the board. It, the more you can streamline the access for payment processing to help people support you, the easier it is or the more willing people are willing to do it. When there's a lot of barriers and all this stuff, it gets more complicated. Patreon smooth. I don't know if you ever use Patreon. It is a smooth payment processor to help funding. You know, I mean, I, and I feel like um, this is like, this is, I feel like this is going to be a winner kind of film. You know, uh, I feel like it's something that people want. People, 
you know, they want to see interesting subcultures they may not have seen that are just around their doorstep. You know what I mean? It's cool. Something different. Or maybe an interesting subculture from like an L.A., different part of the world for some people. You know what I mean? Um, and if I could hit that subculture really right, like that bullseye, I think it could really resonate. Yeah, like 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 yeah. I was making the point, you don't got to gobble up. A, even if you want to gobble up 3% of the world market or even less than that, it's massive. It's fucking huge. It's just it's getting enough traction and getting it out there and getting it to spread is going to be the the part that you it, it, that's where like I don't know shit about marketing but that's where it's going to have to that's where you guys' marketing has to really come through. I think hitting local venues at places would be a, a good spot to get traction doing that. I want it to feel grassroots because I want it to be grassroots. But that that mm-hmm. will be grassroots if you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I want it to be that way. I don't want it to feel like it's coming at you from Warner Brothers. Yeah, the big thing uh, is you, you're going to go the old school guerrilla tactic where you're putting flyers and shit like that for the local venue. Like if you if yes. you if you come in like a week in advance and go guerrilla style and put it up like just fucking flyers, like old school style flyers all over town, like, hey, at this place we're doing this type of fucking thing, that you, you gotta be out in front of it to get the to get the traction out there preemptively going to the place. Yeah, I mean we even thought about selling like like VHS copies of it. Oh, that's kinda dope. I like that idea. You know, we thought about like, you know, later, you know, doing things like cool things, you know, like on top of the vinyl records, maybe sell a VHS copy or Whatnot, you know what I mean? So well, you always got option too to, to do stuff like a digital copy, but do like an uh, a VH a VHS grain overlay to give kind of that gritty feel to it. There's a lot of different things you can do. It says I I I know everything's just moving so much digital, but I, you're going for a nostalgia feel, and there's ways to get the nostalgia without actually being a hundred percent nostalgia. Oh no, I mean just like but like limited. Yeah, I'm talking about like. We press 100 VHS copies because we're pressing uh, 300 vinyl copies of the soundtrack that's signed by everybody. See, the cha- the soundtrack we, idea would be dope to do, too. Yeah, so we do a vinyl. And then, of course, we'll do CD later, you know, maybe more CDs and vinyl. But, like, everything becomes more limited and more limited. And we, I, I want to sell this film with scarcity at okay. first. You know what I mean? Sell it with sort of like you kind of have to know somebody. Maybe the first few ones you got to know somebody. I don't know. Like maybe it's maybe we do like a Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist where like nobody knows where the screening's going to be until like forty five minutes before it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I mean, if it starts to get popular, let's say at the end of the six months, like I book out like the Apollo. In in Harlem or something, some offbeat New York re- venue, you know. Like, See, you you don't want to have to hit it hard in the beginning, and then as 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 it picks up steam, just drop the city. We're going to be in the city, and don't drop the venue until like the last minute. Yeah, or give them clues. Yeah, like tweet like out that. a clue, you know, stuff like that. You know, uh, try to play a a, a kinetic version of of digital intrigue here you know Not, you know like yes flyers but flyers are qr codes 
a digital campaign. Yeah, the QR, uh, maybe a digital scavenger hunt, you the, know, to the QR, find out where it is. The QR code thing is a definitely fucking, that works. Like, all the different, because like, I've cut a ton of stickers for our channel, and all and every sticker I put the QR code, and it has it for the YouTube, or Pandora, everything. And I can cut, and I can, and I can actually watch the foot traffic from the QR code, and it's a lot. So that does work out good. You can, you can monitor all this traffic analytical data and metadata to kind of compile where your traffic's coming from. That's dope. I mean, I think like uh, there's just somewhere some so much you can do. And um, well, it removed, I don't. I what, also don't have to give up my fantasy of a crowd of people enjoying a movie. Well, the big you know thing, what I mean? yeah, the I big feel thing like I can have it both ways with this one. Well, the big thing you got to realize, too, is you have more available knowledge instead of having other people try to do all the footwork about like testing groups. You have access now to all the information so you can figure out what's working or what's not working rapidly. You, you, you have access to all the data that would take a ton of companies to compile for you that you can access in real time. So I can have the, di- you know, digital data. In-person data, you know, everything. Like, I could have, like, haptic feedback, like, live, you know, seeing how the audience, like, reacts to a joke. And see, I can and, see and you could almost, online how it's how it's doing see, traction. And the thing, you too, know. you can almost do a dope-ass setup, too, where you could set up a 360 cam at the venue. So if somebody could log on with a, with a, an Oculus and, and, and interact in the full environment of a show... And like a live show, like uh, we were talking about this, like, uh, like, like last week I was yeah. talking with Mike because yeah. I, I, I want to do in the studio eventually. But like, if you like, if somebody offered a VR, um, ability to go into an actual comedy club, say the comedy club sells out, and there's no more available tickets and the comedian's leaving, but he's there locally live. He could sell you a, a ticket, a digital ticket to the show and you could watch the show live with your Oculus headset on. Like that's the future of where things are going to move to. So even though the venue itself is sold out and you can't be at the venue, you can still have the full immersion of the venue through something like that. Man, there's so many dope things you can do like that now for entertainment and not that, but since, since you're selling the ticket outside of the venue, you'd be profiting all the margin instead of the venue being the one capitalizing on majority of the ticket sales. You're selling it a, the digital part on the back end that has nothing to do with the club, so you'd basically set the camera up at the club, and then you would just you would stream it live VR, and whoever put a headset on could actually be at the venue live when it's happening, not an aftermath, but live. You know, everything you talk about makes me excited because I love technology. I love different ways to do cool things or new things or different ways to do the same thing but better. Um. You know what, what? What you remind me of is, is the reason why I'm thinking about starting like a network, or a streaming platform, as you may be, even if it's that specific to a culture, like my South Sacramento Latino culture or the Sacktown Latino culture. You know, a sort of like real run a day person. It's not in Spanish, but it's for things we like. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be all about, you know, Latin stuff. It could literally be like episodes of In Living Color. Like, I would love to license the entire library (coughs) of In Living Color. 
And then I want to do. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna say it all now because I want to see who steals this idea. So I'm gonna. <laughs> and then I and then I and then. I'm in talks right now, and it's so hard to get these talks because these rights are hard. But I'm trying to buy the homies. Rights. For all the little uh, characters from back in the day. Yes. Oh shit. I'm trying to buy them. I'm trying to buy the film rights to the homies. See, that'd almost be funny to cut a cartoon about that. I, I want to do an animated homies movie. It you gotta make Follow, it like, just like just like the just literally like you know how the Lego is? But like maybe not as great, but like let's get our start off with some like offshore animators. Homies cartoon. I can even voice all of it. All my friends and I can we voice all of it. And we just do the homies movie. See, that'd be funny to turn it into like a, a like a Friday type of comedy. With oh, homies. I, I could go a whole f- homies universe. Yeah. I could do the uh uh homies Macbeth. <laughs> We're like the homies are like redoing Macbeth, but like in the hood, homie style. Like I said, it it everything's open to do whatever you want nowadays. There's there's so much creativity leeway for the creator now that it's I think it's an awesome market. I'm trying I'm trying I'm really trying to buy that because I actually think that could hit not just big with the select group. I think that could hit main fucking stream. If you can imagine, like, a homies movie. Well, keep in mind, too, RF, man. I mean, my bad. I should probably Yeah, it's, good. it's all right. But but keep in mind, too, is if, like, the whole idea of YouTube, I, I know you're not sold on it, but YouTube offers a lot of, like, a lo- like the monetize your stuff. So, like, if your stuff gets monetized, you make ad revenue off your content you're putting on there. And then if you set it up with the Patreon, there's a lot of different things you can do that, that unload the amount of work on the other side that you have to do where it's and loads it to YouTube. It frees up a lot of your, your, the, the amount of people you need helping you on the back end. That's the whole reason I, I, I like YouTube and look at it that way. You're freeing up a lot of the back end work of going out to try to gener- generate people to back it when you can get stuff that creates ad revenue and, and all these different things like that. Like, especially if you're making content that is like T like 14 age, like 14 years old and below her. If you can keep it where they don't do a lot of cussing, you open yourself up to a lot of ad revenue monetization from YouTube. Oh, I'm 100% behind it. I mean, yeah. I could do like a weekend update homies edition. Yeah, there's just, there, there's you so know, many we're, different we're, things. There's all the, there's all kinds of things I could do. Like, a, that, that's a, that's the YouTube version. And then when I do the, the big project, the YouTube, the homies movie, I could take all that foot traffic to my dedicated uh, app. Yeah, you know, you, where I have all my customers. Well, you you, know? you, you could either do that, or you you're, if you like I said, you set the Patreon upon where it's a Patreon one, where the only the people that are donating monthly to your to your content creation have access to it. No, there, I get you. Yeah, but like eventually, I'd like to just create my own network. Here, I'm thinking about like. Uh, but the only problem about when you go when you go to create your own your own network and stuff like that, yeah, it means you got to set up a payment processor, and all of a sudden you start getting into these weird gray areas. That I don't like. No, them. I I found uh, I found a lot of services that create. You could create like a, I'm not saying out of the box, but an out of the box Netflix. It, it includes a payment processor. 
it, you upload, uh, you could choose different ways that they make money versus they can make money per customer on a scalable basis. Um, or you could pay them like money, like directly. <clears throat> it's, it, there's a lot of options out there. The, there's so many options on the internet now. There is. The, the only reason I harp on YouTube, it's, it's already <laughs> preloaded on everybody's phone. There's nothing you got to do other than log in and go on. It it the, it removes a lot of all these other things that 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 you need to do the access to content. It all the barriers kind of get dropped off the equation. I agree with that. You know, uh, that's the hardest part: getting someone to download your app and then use it and everything like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I agree I, with there's you. a lot of people that that struggle with that. A lot of people try to got, got the same idea you have, and it, it's always hard to get them to get off of YouTube. So a lot of them end up doing the stuff I'm rec- like that I'm suggesting, like setting up a Patreon, putting stuff private this closed on closed circuit, this yeah. closed circuit like loop. Yeah, it's just the ease of YouTube is so is so enticing and easy that it's mm. hard to compete against it sometimes. Hmm. It's smart. I wonder if YouTube's ever going to put a clamp on that, like that loop. No, why would they? Because they can monetize the content. And and they make a percentage off the ad revenue, and you make the other percentage. Even it, if it's it, a private video, they mo- they put ads on it. Well, if it's a private video, it it's going to your Patreon and stuff like that. I don't know if the private videos have ads. They might. I'm not 